Hello and welcome to uh, Willosophy with Will Anderson. We're back. Uh, very excited to be back, back in the pod cave. It is a bit of a hot day. I don't know how that will affect it. Maybe there'll be some sort of like, it'll like be a Bikram sort of uh, podcast or maybe some sort of Guantanamo Bay thing that like ends in waterboarding and a lot of confessions about things that I didn't really need to get to. But I have a guest and I'm very happy to have her here. Uh, um, this is how we start the podcast. It's been so long. I nearly forgot how it starts. Uh, guest, who, who are you? Um, I'm Julia Zamiro and I'm a Luddite performer. Oh, what does that mean, a Luddite performer? That's a good one. I like that. No one said that before. What does a Luddite performer mean? Um, Look, I'm a little, um, I'm a performer and I think that covers all the things that I do. But uh, Luddite, I feel like I'm not really keeping up with technology and and I'm sort of resisting it as well and I'm in a real middle ground of I don't know if I'm going to go full circle and just move to the country and never touch anything electrical again. I mean, yeah, it's too fast. It's all moving too fast for me and I don't know what it means in terms of our work anymore, in terms of performance. Now you can't do any work without having some kind of presence on social media or having to be aware of that. And I don't know, when I started, you just got up and performed. So even on TV, you didn't have to deal with all of that. So I'm I'm a bit trapped, I think. Okay, I'm going to say firstly, uh, let's just rebrand. You don't have to say you're a Luddite. I would say you're artisanal. Uh, oh, artisanal. It's yeah. French as well. C'est artisanal, so I can use both. Yeah, exactly. <gasps> so that's, you've just got to reband. What you've basically done mm. is you've added double the value for your artisanal comedy <laughs> services and performance <laughs> services. Um, uh, I understand what you're saying about the technology thing. I do. Um, I am a person who has a podcast, obviously, and, um, you know, I'm on Twitter and, and my dog has an Instagram uh, I have a really? Facebook presence, but you know, I, Ramona, sit down. She's here I now. Told you at the she start. heard you. You see, she said, "I've got an Instagram." I sure do. Always at the start, Dancing and always dog. trying to get into the guest lap. That's basically <laughs> the idea. But we've got them both in here at the start today, which is uh, going to be doubly annoying. Ramona, no, 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 no. come here. She's a s- really. You're the love one. Aren't yeah, you, she wants. She wants uh, up on the lap. Come here. Come here, baby. Come on. Come get up. All right. Come up here. All right. You can come here. Aww. There we go. Yeah, there you go, into the microphone. See, performing dogs, I mean, they've got a future. Okay, so um, here's what I was going to say about the technology is I have a, a, you know, a podcast, I'm on Twitter, but I was talking to my girlfriend about uh, Twitter yesterday because I was reading her. She has a uh, unhealthy <laughs> obsession with how much she hates Kanye West. Like, I like to join, get on board with her, but yeah. Yeah, she hates him. Like, mm. she's offended by everything that Kanye West has ever done and every single thing he does, like, rubs it in. It just makes her so angry, but, like, kind of in an enjoyable, sure. angry way. You know, sometimes it's good to be angry at something like that, you know. And Kanye gives you plenty of an excuse. Like, that's the great thing about, like, if Kanye's your guy you're angry at, like, you never know when it's going to come along, but it's probably going to come along pretty regularly. And it's always going to surprise you in some way. What's that? He's running for president. Oh, great. There's two (laughs) days worth, right? So basically, he had a Twitter spat. Uh, with another rapper called Wiz Khalifa, who's kind of like a, a you know, anyway. And they both, yeah, you, I think like uh, Wiz dates Kanye's ex-girlfriend. Yes. And then he mentioned that she was a stripper and then oh. she and then she came online and she talked about how he like butt stuff, you know, fingers up his butt and stuff. Oh, like, it's so appropriate for Twitter, yeah. Right. And that was like a day on Twitter. And, oh. and Amy was like, what is, like, why are, what is Twitter? Why is this happening and why are people doing this? And I was like... You know what? I loved Twitter when it started. I loved it. Mm. You know, and lots of people follow me on Twitter. I used to write jokes on there and like whatever. But 
I find it a pretty unpleasant place to be a lot mm. of the time these days. Like I read it for news. Like every day I'll trick, mm. uh, you know, kind of see what's going on and what people are talking about or whatever. Mm. But so many of the debates and shit that seem to be important every day on Twitter, I'm like, I don't care about this thing. You'll be angry about it, and then someone will be not the opposite of angry about it, and then someone will re- you know, write some hot take on this thing, and you'll yeah. all be angry about their hot take on it, and then somebody will say something where their intentions are really good, but you'll p- take one thing that they missaid or mm-hmm. like misspoke about, and now you hate them even though they're kind of an ally, I imagine, or at least that was their intent at the start of the fucking... And you're like, oh, God, I don't have the energy. I've got shit to do. But also because now they want every time you do a show, every time you do on TV, and it's certainly, you know, I remember hearing a story about you filling up a whole um, room because you added an extra show Uh just through Twitter. You know, now that's that is revolutionary. You know, you know, in the old days, if you had to put it, you had to put an ad in the paper and pay a lot of money to put an ad in the paper to get people to come see your shows. Twitter's, it's, it's for that, it's amazing. Well, no one reads the paper anymore. When I buy papers wow. at the news agents, like the people that come out and thank me and show me pictures of their holidays I paid for, like I, I think they're only getting the paper for me. <laughs> I think like there's one new one every day and then there's a stack of old ones they just oh, put under the new yeah. one so it looks like they're still selling newspapers because I think I'm the only person buying them. Well, no, I buy them too. I buy them too. And oh, because well, you're artisanal. I'm artisanal. Yeah. Um, you may sound like a, there's a lemonade. There's a brand of artisanal lemonade. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know where to place it anymore. I don't know where it means anymore. I'm confused by it. Uh-huh. And it's not because I'm getting older, although that is part of it, but it's just. What is it about it that it confuses you or, or that you just don't connect with? Is it relevant? Do you use it? Is, can you gauge really anything by it? Are people genuinely, if I tweet about home delivery, that you know, will people go and watch that show? I don't know. I reckon most people are fans of your work anyway. If someone new comes to it, it's because a friend's told them. I don't know. I'm still... And also I don't like the pressure of having to be part of it. And it's all moving so fast. So just when you get used to one thing, and it's about uh, speed yeah. of life. It's about it's I not know. even about I don't know how to work it. It's about speed of life. It's going, well, now it's like if you keep moving that quickly, humans shouldn't have to move that quickly. Right. We're not and it's and it's also that's not great for what we do, which is think and, and about things and write about things and, you know, observe people. What are we observing? We're observing the same behaviour in everyone and, yeah, And, and how do you know. comment on something originally that has already been commented oh, on a thousand or a million Jesus times online? Christ. You know. I mean, and like if I take, even sort of take, even the technology of say, you know, I, I, I really like Amy Schumer's TV stuff. Uh-huh. I wasn't a fan of the film. but I, and Now, in that whole series that she did, she really did extraordinary sketches on ideas I've had They've all been executed. They've Uh all been on YouTube. They've all been out. It's a bit like, well, can I ever do a tell a story about that ever again? You know, thirty years ago, you had to do it on stage for it to be seen. You might get a show. You might get on Full Frontal. You might do a gig with someone on telly, and it would become something bigger. But now it all happens so quickly. It's like, well, yeah. What will be the original idea? And I, you know, for someone like you, has to come up with new stuff every every year. and all you can do is talk about what you're doing in the now, how you're feeling now with the things that are around you, and that's valid as well. But there's so much noise out there. You hope that there are people out there going, I quite like hearing this guy talk in the silence, so I like watching this show in the silence a bit. There's not enough silence. That's my Luddite comment. No, I agree. It's not artisanal. <laughs> I, no, I absolutely agree with that. Like, and it, like uh, up on my wall here behind me, um, on my black on my blackboard, I've got some notes, and up in the kind of like top corner up here, there's just like a little thing that says "say no." 
And underneath, I've kind of written to myself. This is my note to myself. Say no, but, you know, also say yes. <laughs> Get good on you. But, I mean, you could write a coffee book. Look yeah. at you. But my point of that, my note to myself, what I was thinking when I wrote that up there was like, I, look, I have this real thing that, you know, I look at all this sort of stuff as an agreement, like a, a like a, between me and my audience. I always think of my yeah, career as kind of almost being like a barter. It works on a barter system in that if I provide enough of value, people will support when I ask them to support the things that they need to pay for. You mm. know, like if I do enough things for free, I mean, I get paid to do the television show, but people can access it for free. The podcast is free. People can support or contribute or whatever but it's it's free to consume you know you hope you put some jokes up on twitter and those sort of things that are free and that people might enjoy you know get some value from and in return you get to like plug your shows and like you know mention your things Mm. and they might buy your dvd or they might you know like you know support your career in some way so that you can keep making that work but what all these new things do is they eat up more and more of that time that you could be dedicating to the thing that making the thing that you actually love better and I can see that people get addicted. I found myself getting addicted because I came to it so late. When Australia uh, was in Eurovision, uh, finally, I kind of went, oh, all right, I'll open a Twitter account so I can be part of that. And it was interesting to see how it works to learn because I really didn't understand how it worked uh-huh. and the speed of things and how. And I can see how people can get addicted. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. And that's interesting to me because there's some real positives. Like I, I would say a group of the funniest female writers that I have ever discovered are people who kind of, you know, I've discovered through them being becoming Twitter personalities mm. and people who, and you, know, you like you click on one and they retweet somebody else and you're like, well, I'm going to click on them and follow them for a while. And then suddenly you're surrounded by all these kind of voices that I think a person like me never would have been exposed right. to. These people aren't doing stand-up or mm. I'm not running into them at gigs. They're people who are really funny and really clever and really, you know, have this interesting take on life. Mm. But never before this thing came along did they, mm. you know, if they're living in Ipswich in Queensland, or if they're like someone who's like working in you know data entry job, but like you know it's funny or has a right take on things, like they suddenly have this thing where you can, mm. you know, like it can take me. I can write a joke on Twitter and thousands of people can see it immediately. I can write a joke for my stand up and mm. it takes me six months of rocking up to places at night and talking to people for that many people to see it. You know, so. but, but then, but it's still but the thing you wouldn't do the Twitter without. I mean, the stand up's what you like. It's being in front of a people that you like. I mean, to be honest, I probably could stop doing the Twitter altogether personally if I, if yes. I honestly took it out of yeah. like being a business decision. Mm. Like I now purely like have a transactional relationship with Twitter. It's like I consume it still. I think I'd still be on it mm. uh, like as just a watch, but I could happily not tweet ever again. Mm. But I think like it's a really good place to plug your show still and let mm. people know what's going on with stuff like that. Mm. And I think I don't want my Twitter just to be that. Mm. So I always try to have like that balance of like if I'm going to be tweeting a lot, make sure you're putting up a few podcasts, make sure that you're like writing some jokes or live tweeting a show or giving some I, I, I live tweeted the hottest 100 the other day which some people seem to enjoy and then you're like okay cool now I'm gonna plug a bunch of shows yeah yeah <laughs> but I'm also a lot on in terms of saving technology in cars it's like you know if, if you don't need to put the wind up anymore with your arm <laughs> if you're not even supposed to kind of bloody back at reverse park without someone telling you how to we're all going to become dumber like what does Tim Minchin say Tim Minchin he has some line about um you know, you're not you're not upskilling. You're constantly <laughs> downskilling. We're always kind of, 
So we're going to become these humans who can't do anything. God forbid Armageddon comes, William. Well, uh, they'll be coming to me because I'll be the only one who knows how to make a fire and cook something. What you're saying is really fascinating to me. I, I, I have this... Um idea about time travel like this thing comes up all the time which is this idea that everyone thinks oh wouldn't it be great if you could go back like 20 years and give yourself advice or whatever like and live in that time because you would nail it because look at all the things i know now that i didn't know back then everyone thinks about their life if they went back and lived 20 years Mm. ago they would then nail their life Mm. but here's the news you wouldn't necessarily because you don't know how to do anything 20 years ago Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you'd, like you go to look up something on your phone and you'd be like, hang on, I don't, like, you can't look up you things on your phone. You might change a decision you made though. Oh, you could change your whole life, but I'm just saying that you mm. wouldn't immediately nail your life. No. Because you would actually be in a place where you many of the yet. things you take for granted now, now mm. like, you know, haven't happened yet. Mm. And like in 20 years, and this is, I've been reading a lot recently about um, self-driving cars because yes. now how do you feel about the self-driving car? Oh, I look, honestly, worst idea ever. Okay. Interesting. Tell me why. You because think of this, uh, well, big decision of having to decide what does the car do in an accident situation? Do you take out the person in the car? Do you take out the person on the street? And I don't know. I think there is an inevitability in the world that that's going to be the strength of the the Darwin kind of award of, I don't know, the guy driving. Ah, look. I think you've gone immediately to the most interesting thing about it. I honestly do believe you do because there's a lot of talk because all these big companies, and these are the companies that run the world, by the way, let's just not forget that, like, you know, your Googles and your Apples and, like, Tesla and all these companies, these are the big companies Mm. that are making the decisions, that are not paying tax, that are becoming richer and richer and buying up more and more other businesses and other technologies. They have so much fucking power, right? Now... If they use that power wisely, then then maybe it would be great for the world. But I'm just saying that this shit is happening. So if all these companies Mm. are racing towards like driverless cars, which they are, Mm. and there's probably going to be cars on the road in the next five years, and there's predictions that you might have like fleets of them like in 20 years, like all your Ubers, taxis, those sort of things would all be driverless cars. Okay. There's a lot of amazing technological advances and in time spent and like, you know, in people not dying, you know, you know, people can be safe in those things. You can you're not drunk drive, you know, the, but what you've got to is the most interesting question about it, which is the cars inherently will have to make value judgments. I mean, computer program value judgments, mm. but value judgments nevertheless, yeah, yeah. like who's like in an accident where two, like where there is going to be like, you know, one person can be w- worse off than the other. The computer is going to make that decision. If you have two cars that are both computer programmed, do they make a value judgment that you are like a little older and because you've been wearing your Fitbit recently, you've loaded up all your information and they know you smoke and to be honest, you're probably not going to live that much longer, but there's like a family of four people and the other car, but he does have a criminal record. Like, is this... Is this where we're going with that's this sort Gattaca. of stuff? You know, oh, sorry, oh. I'm just. That's that's Gattaca. You are very artisanal. You know, yeah. Like, even, um, even a microphone, you're like, what is look this? Look at this bloody microphone. Just use your voice, project. Um, it, I mean, it, it, and I'm, and I mean, I, you know, I, I reckon I'll stop driving. I'll be back on the bike, then having to deal with driverless cars on the road as right. well. But yeah, I can imagine. I see. I think I see a future where some people are going to go. I'm actually going to completely turn my back on technology, or as much as I absolutely need to. Right. Because you know, there's a certain amount you need. Right. You could say plumbing, and you could say gas, and getting stuff is you know technology. It is to a degree, but all this extra stuff, like you know, space travel. Right. No. Well, you don't need it. It's not no. necessary for you in your life. It should in this be a world. reward for having done good things here. 
Right. You, you want to you, yeah, you go to much? Absolutely. Well done, you. That is a, a reward for having done amazing things here. Not for fucking it up. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I We were up in Byron Bay, which is where Amy's from. And, uh, you know, I stole her away from there 14 years ago oh, or whatever. And, you know, she, so she's secretly resented at, at yeah. every moment. You know, it's fair enough. That's I, so fair enough. I understand it. And, you know, the kind of like you know, the thought has always been that at some stage, you know, we'll move up there later mm. on in life, which is, you know, a nice thought to Beautiful have. Thought. Right. And then last time we were up there, like, I was just like, this was so good. I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll buy like a holiday house. We'll get a holiday house. Now. And then now, and then for like a week, you know, I thought it through and then I was like, oh God, I can't even really afford it. And then I have to look for a house. And then what do we do with the house when I was like, I, I was like, all that stuff to me is a nightmare. I'm like, we have a house that we live in now and it's fine. It's good. It's nice. It's a nice house. And then when we want to move there, we don't need this house. So we'll just sell this house and then we'll buy a house there. That other house is going to cause me nothing but fucking troubles. Mm. And I think that your that your attitude to those some of those technology things is like definitely opt in or opt out at your leisure. Mm. Like don't feel that it's compulsory. You mm. know, and and if 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 Facebook is making you feel miserable, then just don't spend so much time on Facebook. I mean, I think that we should be looking at the way we like look at the internet in the same way as we look at things like alcohol or drugs or those sort of things is asking the question, not having a value judgment one way or the other, whether pornography is bad or whether the internet is bad or whether fucking, you know, phone calls are bad, whatever, but saying to people, um, here's what's bad. If you have an issue with these things, if mm. it is not making your life better or it is making your life worse, mm. you know, so... That's that's what we should be focusing yeah, but people on. People like people are asleep. You have to kind of wake them up. That's my thing. You know, uh, you you talk to people. I find it so interesting when you say to people. Um, I tried an experiment once a few years ago, a long time ago, before right. you know rock was like. I was in Sydney and uh, we were going out to things, and you'd meet people, and you know Sydney people are very. Yeah, they're a bit bullshitty. You know, they kind of always say things oh, yeah. better than Absolutely. they are. Absolutely, yeah. Second to Melbourne. So people go, yeah, I'm writing a film script and doing amazing work. And, you know, I had about five of these conversations in about two weeks. And then I started when they would finally say, how are you? I'd go, mm, not, not great, actually. It's been, I don't know, I've been finding it really hard. And as soon as you drop your status and you right. told the truth... They would respond and go, yeah, actually, that screenplay has been really right. difficult. Now, Amy always says that Sydney is a city that it's great if you're successful. It's set up for yeah. you to be successful yeah. and it rewards success. You know, it is. But like, it means that a lot of people are just pretending to be successful because they're scared that if I they know. admit that they're not going as well or if things are really hard, mm. then somehow they're a failure in the eyes of the city. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Julia, Amy. Hi, Amy. Before? How are you? He's just quoting you then. I was just Where quoting you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Oh, uh, you know what? I reckon I'll be fine. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Anything else? I've got, I've got a water. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, though. Yeah. Right. Thanks, love. It's I appreciate one. it. Thank you. Yeah. You're the best. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I don't want to get into, you know, Sydney versus Melbourne versus whatever, but one of the beautiful things about Melbourne was that when I went there first uh, to do acting school there, um, and then certainly once I started working there, people would share information about what work was out there and they would be honest about feeling a little bit down or they would open up about that. And, gee, that's great. <laughs> you know, right. you feel like you're part of a community and not, not everyone's trying to be happy all the time because it's not normal to be like that all the time. So I loved that ab- about well, Melbourne. And, Andrew, always, Andrew Denton always used to say that the, the, the question at the heart of Enough Rope was, 
you know, life's hard. How are you doing? You know, and I think that's a really good question. And I think that's the thing about the internet or the whatever exercise. It can be anything mm. that you're too into. Like you've just got to ask yourself, am I having a healthy relationship with this what, thing? This thing? Mm. Am I having a healthy, I love drinking coffee, but there's a point I get to at the end of Gruen where I'm like drinking eight cups of coffee a day. And you're like, that doesn't mean that I have to stop drinking coffee forever. It means I'm not having a healthy relationship with coffee <laughs> I, as I just was like given iced coffee by my girlfriend. But. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, look, I think it was a perfect entrance. Yeah. Um, but I guess, too, I think that, too, about performing. You know, I think because it, there's so much unemployment, there's 99% unemployment yeah. in, in performers' lives, that I think uh, as a job we question why we're doing what we do more than maybe another job. And I think that's so important. And I, I'm kind of fascinated by people who know when they've had enough. Oh, when they walk away from yeah. showbiz. yeah. I'm fascinated I'm by that. I'm fascinated. I know that I am not one of those people. I have sometimes like escape fantasies, you know, like those Do people you? who disappear off a train, you know, they're in a train accident yeah, yeah. and then they take that opportunity. They went, they like, they survive, but they're like, fuck it. I'm out of here. Totally. Like, and on that moment, make that call. Totally. There's a small part of me that goes, I, I think that I would love, not that I have anything wrong with my life. No, it, no. This is not about that. But there's just that sort of thing of going to be able to escape and have to build myself from scratch. Like it's kind of like a an appealing idea. But it's I think that's I think, you know, if you were gonna ask me what my philosophy was, I reckon everyone's allowed a moment of reinvention. You know what I love the most about this is like every week uh, the podcast I ask it at a different time. I do. But this is the first time uh, that uh, a guest has brought it up. So <laughs> I'm a bit of a fan, so I do. No, I appreciate that. that. No, it's good. I mean, everybody at home is probably screaming, going, well, "Ask her a fucking philosophy," <laughs> so that you can weave it through these conversations. And I was going to get to it, but I was yeah. just waiting for a, an a, a good time. time. Uh, tell me, so if you do have a philosophy, Reinv- uh, it's reinvention. Okay, being able to reinvent yourself. At least once in your life because we don't know if we've made the right decision. You know, it could be about your sexuality. It could be about work. It could be about where you live. It could be about so many things. And I think particularly for um, successful people, when you're successful at what you do, how do you know if you're still good at what you do if people just like you because you're successful? So the first QI I ever did in London uh-huh. – they didn't know who I was. No one laughed at anything I said. Right. And you go, oh, so am I inherently not funny? Oh, well, I'm not a stand-up. Am I not on the right wavelengths? Do they just like – and you start – and it was kind of exciting and I hadn't felt that nervous since the beginning. And can it ruin you as a performer to not feel that nervous ever again? Like, you know, I've – you know, sometimes you go, you know, go somewhere where they don't know you and try and see and have a go and what would it be like and – because otherwise you get so comfortable that you're not going to make anything real anymore. And there was this interview once with Pamela Stevenson and Billy Connolly on Parkinson. And it was a while ago. And Billy was clearly just going off like a frog in a sock, you know. He's like, blah, 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 and Pamela's just sitting there really quietly. And, I mean, even though she's gone a bit nuts in her own way now, being, you know, sexual psychologist to the stars and all that stuff. But at one point, Parkinson turns to her and says, and you, Pamela, I mean, you, you gave it all away. And she's like, well, I was finished. He said, but how? You were top, you were funny, not that I got news, you'd done amazing. You gave it all away like, like it was the worst thing you could ever do. And she's going, well, I went back to school and I've done my degree and I really liked it and I've had enough. And there was part of me that was so envious of her clarity of going, I'm done. And there's Billy, who I think is hilarious, 
all of a sudden looking like the child that just wants attention. I thought, right. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the really quiet person who's reflective and... Anyway, as I said, she has gone a bit off right. off track <laughs> with her crazy. What's that? What's that show called? She does sitting on the couch, like ask the yeah, it's weird stuff that she do. She interviews stars about their problems. It's so weird. But anyway, um, but yeah, I felt very envious of that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like I I examine myself like in that performance. Like, firstly, I want to speak to a couple of things you said because I I find a couple of them really fascinating because I'm a big subscriber as well. Like, two things I would say about performance is I don't think there's any right way to do it. I think the right way to do it is to find the reasons that you do it. Like, you know, there's no point, you know, walking away if you're walking away so that everybody will say where is that person gone please come back (laughs) you know because that's you see that in performance you see people who retire and then two years later you're like hang on didn't you retire oh my god are you back already yeah i thought this was finished but yeah so but also that's fine be whoever you are and make your own choices and all that sort of stuff but i do absolutely subscribe to the idea i mean uh my i've been going to america now for like nearly seven years and people always ask me how's it going and I always say it's going great. Now, I'm, I haven't really done anything, you know, that they would think is great. You know, to, yes, to people yes. who don't, like, you know, there's nothing that I can point to and go, you know, I did Fallon the other night or I've been on this or whatever. But I go to places where people don't know me of and course. I make them laugh a lot. Yeah. Like, and I have a really good, like, you know, I, the, the thing that I'm most proud of, like the thing that makes me feel, feel so confident coming back here to do things and confident to experiment in my work has come out of the fact that, like, on a Thursday night in Minneapolis, mm. like, I have done a job that I get feedback through my agents and stuff that people are very happy with, you know. Mm. And to me, that then gives me the confidence of going, well, if I'm funny here, you know. It, 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 you know I've still got something. I, I something. still know what I'm doing. And they're making you work. And I find those gigs, I mean, to me, they're exciting. Yeah. Because, like, you, it's really... Like, if you consider performing to be like, and and I kind of do it, like, a little bit more like you're an athlete playing a game. So, rather than, mm. like, every performance is, like, that week's game. Mm. So, you have all the skills, you know, you've done all the training and you've played every other game that you've already played. But this night, you have to play this particular game yeah. and there will be, you know, uh, things that are not constants that will be different. And how well you do as a performer is not about you nailing that script in the way you nailed it the other night when it was perfect. The actual really good performers yeah. are the ones who can take that thing they're meant to be performing and play the room and play yeah. the audience and know the timing. And that's actually when you're really good. You yeah. know, that's that step, I think. No, oh, I, I love that stuff. And and I, I'm not a big fan of this comedy in Cars with Jerry Seinfeld, but Steve Martin was on, so I had to watch that because I'm a fan I mean, of his. I mean, thank you for saying that as well. Though. I really I, drives me nuts. It's yeah. like famous people talking to famous people. Yeah. And I know a couple I can, of great episodes, but... Like, I mean, I know I'm. it's a bit, you know, disingenuous of me to say that because, I, you know, but I, I, I do a show where I interview people who are well-known as well and you go, well, but I don't feel, I often don't know those people. But so. also for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Like with a with a purpose, like in mind, whereas yeah. there is no purpose to that like program. But occasionally, yeah, uh, you get some brilliant people on there, and it's great to see them. You know, with yeah. Jerry Seinfeld. There's too much cars in them for me. But uh, Steve Martin was on, and I say he... this all the time, and it's so mean spirited, and I don't really mean it. But I wish Jerry Seinfeld had died so we could remember him fondly rather than him becoming the old horrible <laughs> <laughs> like. And he still just... wears sneakers with jeans. I just oh. go, oh really. I thought that was the character. It's disrespectful. Choice. He's he created uh, co-created the greatest sitcom of all time. Oh no, I love I love that. Know. Let the work stand for itself. But yeah. see, you know, you can see it in him wanting to kind of be alive still. But yeah. but Steve Martin 
was uh, made some comment about, oh, that's why I walked away from stand-up. That's what that whole book was about. But people still think I, people think I walked away last year. And I actually have Born Standing Up, his book, yeah. and I just never read it. You know? Oh, really? You know, you buy books and you go, I'll get to that. Anyway, I dig it out and I read it in like a day. It's amazing. Because he's a beautiful writer. It's a really good book. Too. Yeah. <gasps> and, I mean, I, I've not done stand-up. I've hung around a lot, a lot of it and been in clubs where we've done improv and seen people. I don't know what, how it is to do. But he explains the process of it so beautifully, what's going on in his head, his own anxieties and why he walks away and I got addicted to that I thought yeah he knew when it was time even though he was still creative obviously but that's that thing of I got so famous and so like he's playing to what 20,000 people what what else do you do like what how much bigger can you be and the and the thing that he describes there which I think in this day and age it isn't necessarily the case you don't have to go to 20,000. Yeah. Like the great thing about this, like yeah. this day and age is, like, you know, Steve Martin could have been like a David Cross or like a yeah. Janine Garofalo or like a yeah. Patton Oswalt where you can play like 800-seat beautiful alternative rooms and theatres, you know, across America forever to people who will actually really kind of dig your work and let you be as creative as you want to be. Like I think it is a different environment now, but he just got so super famous that that sort of act, like, and I can just see... And because he's so physical, you think, oh, you could play to a big room and even pinpoints going, I'm going to start wearing a white suit so people can see me up the back because, like, he's so aware, right? He's such a theatre beast. Well, I mean, a lot of his jokes are about the craft or the actual <sighs> idea of theatre or, you know, of performance. Yeah. Um, like, we went and saw him, Amy and I, we were in San Francisco and he was playing with his, you know, he has his banjo yeah. uh, band and uh, there's this big festival. I wish I could remember what the name of it is, but it's put on by a local... I believe by like just a local billionaire or whatever puts on like a, a festival. And uh, we went to this festival and Steve Martin was like uh, playing at the festival. And the jokes that he was doing, these like, you know, quotable, like you could have put out a desk calendar of like one-liners and they were all about like the band and the performance oh. and like, you know, kind of jokes about what they were doing. That, But they were these perfectly, you know. I love him. Yeah. I mean, even just little things like little asides, like the band were called like the Rocky Mountain Rangers or something, and it's good to have them here because they're usually uh, ranging around Rocky Mountain. Like just really just, you know, like funny little, and it was just, and there was like 60,000, 80,000 people there probably in this park in the heat in the middle of the day yeah. just hanging on every word. Like he oh. still knew how to, you know, make. Still do it. Yeah, there was no sort of sadness or weirdness of like, you know, that, yeah. that, that, you know, you were kind of like, He's doing that great thing where he's like really – everyone was appreciating the music, but like he's been kind of funny enough in between that you kind he, of is like – Is he a good musician? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, like I don't know much about banjos. Yeah, I mean like to me, <laughs> as a amateur banjo judge, like don't even have that sort of, you know, when the Olympics are on and, you know, you watch the gymnastics for four nights and you suddenly think that you can – oh, gosh, you just stepped a bit there. That's 9.7. Um, I have no I, – I have nothing yeah. to judge banjo by. No, to no. But I got the impression that, yes, he is a good banjo and player. And the band were yeah. enjoying it. But mm. also I think – yeah, but also in terms of like he walked away from that and I, I like stories about people who – like especially performers, like women in front of camera. There comes a point where you go – Oh, you know, I just can't be bothered worrying that long about if I'm wearing the right thing and how it will look and all of that. So when you've got kind of people like Rachel Ward who's gone, I'm sick of being in front of the camera and get behind. I've been on film sets where you're wearing something completely inappropriate for the weather because they're shooting summer for winter or winter for summer or whatever. Uh And you're there and you've got to do this thing. And I look at all the crew 
and I think, I want to be one of you. I want right. to be properly dressed, wearing really good shoes, having a great time, doing my job amazingly, but my job's being done behind the scenes. Well, also one of the things that you can appreciate when you do that is everybody's making the film. Yeah. Like that's some of the thing that sometimes like it gets forgotten in the world of show business, particularly around the award seasons. Like oh my God. you know, you get the impression mm. that you know, like uh, actors make the movies by themselves, right? <laughs> but that's kind of the feeling of it, right? Yeah. You know, let's celebrate. You know how Michael Fassbender wrote the script for Jobs, and like you know, like you know, whatever. Like that's kind of the idea of it. It's so ridiculous. And um, when you see something made, you know, I have the 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 great honor of like having an executive producer role on Gruen as well as the hosting role for a few years, and. You know, you get to see at every level, like at every level, how important it is that everybody does their job well mm. and that everybody who is involved in that mm. is hopefully proud of the show that they make, you mm. know, whatever they do. Like, you know, and, and if the show is successful, that hopefully, you know, when they're at dinner or whatever and somebody's like, hey, you know, what are you working on at the moment? They say, oh, I'm working on Gruen. I did this mm. for Gruen. Like, that they can be proud of that and mm. that there can be something that they can enjoy the fact that they work on the show. and. Mm. And I, I think there are, like, you, the, the role of how important all those people, I was saying this actually at our um, Christmas party at the end of Gruen uh, last year, and I was talking about uh, this guy, Warren, who you'd probably know, he's a floor. He, uh, he, yeah, he, I do. Yeah. Uh, he's from the ABC, and he has been basically the, the man that, for people who, basically there's someone who's next to the camera, and he's pretty much controlling the entire floor as it goes when you're doing one of those sort of shows. You know, he'll be giving me countdowns into clips, you know, how long, you know, a clip goes for. You know, he'll hold me up notes if there's something he needs to know about. He's helping cue in, like, applause out of things. Or, you know, like, he has a range of things. He's got a headset on. He's communicating with the directors and the producers and mm. everybody who are up in the box. And he's doing all that while at the same time making sure that basically he and I have like a personal relationship yeah. where like I that, that he knows that he has to bring all that to the table and then funnel it in a way mm. that any news he presents to me is in a way that like makes me better and doesn't panic me or doesn't throw me or doesn't you know he's kind of first allegiance is to me he's as important to making that television show and the reason that totally. it's good as anybody else and that's a human skill that's not a technological skill that's right. a completely human skill. That's him thinking, feeling, looking all the time. And it's a range of skills. Oh, my that because God. Because he does it well, yeah. no one sees. Yeah. But if you've got someone else in who doesn't have the skills, oh. suddenly everything starts to fall apart. Because if I'm not getting clear messages, I can't do my job. Oh, totally. Or if someone's panicking or if someone's like, you know, it's, yeah, absolutely. So, of course, there's a, a bunch of creative roles. But there's a level to walking away that I'm interested in asking you about, which is like in this walking away thing yes is that a walk away from everything because when you say steve martin steve martin walked away from performance mm. but he obviously like well from live performance mm. but he obviously still was, was making movies mm. he was you know hosting things he was still doing and he stuff. did snl group stuff and i right. think he was he just didn't want to be by himself anymore yeah. i think uh, yeah go on sorry um but, but then there are some people who walk away completely. Mm. You know, Rick Moranis, I think, is like the famous example in America, but just people who are like, I am done. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go and live on a farm and, you know, yeah. but I'm done with showbiz. Like, I have no more to do with it. What do you, what, what are your thoughts around those things? Um, when you talk about walking away, what does it mean? To I, knew, I knew this young actress in Melbourne who was terrific and she stopped altogether. And I said, why did you stop? And she said, I didn't like the way it was making me feel. And... That doesn't mean you shouldn't do interesting things. But I think... Right. That's a good, though. That's, that's how is your... How healthy is your relationship with... Yeah, and how it made me feel about myself. Right. So if you're constantly going, 
And look, a lot of it does have to do with looks in our industry and I've gotten away with it pretty well Mm -hmm. because I've never presented myself as being, you know, a bombshell or anything like that, but I've been in a situation where I'm allowed to be... good skin or genetics or something. You have like a, you know, you could play 25. Well, thank you, Will. I also don't go in the sun much. Right. I reckon that's a secret. Yeah, the sun's your enemy. People always tell me I have good skin. I said, I'm indoors a lot. Yeah, before (laughs) nine, after five, you know, bloody hell. And in Australia, uh, you know, no one wears hats in this country. It just blows my tiny mind. We're indoors. I'm wearing a hat. I know. <laughs> you are. And it's just casting the loveliest shadow because those downlights, you will burn, Bubby. Yeah, you'll burn. But um, no, it's something about would it walk? I, look, I, sometimes you don't feel very useful. Uh-huh. I think it's about feeling useful. And, uh, you know, I would teach, I think. I would go into teaching and I, and I wouldn't do it five days a week because that is exhausting. I think all teachers should be able to work four days a week. But like I'd like to see, you know, in my fantasy, I set up a school, a drama school oh, for kids and adults. By the way, adults. just what you just said then, let's get to the, Sorry, I, people get upset when I interrupt. But sometimes if I don't interrupt, I forget the yeah. thing that I was – I'm just not good at it. Sorry. Um, uh, we talk a lot about teaching on the podcast. It's a theme that comes up and I, I believe – like there were just some stories in Australia about how low the entrance scores are for teaching and, you know – like it, it's been proved in study after study forever yeah. and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The best way to give people opportunity for equality, oh whether it be race, whether it be like sex, whether it be whatever, is through the education system. The best way out of poverty, yeah. uh, you know, to, to you know, like that's the only way. And unfortunately, what happens is like the system is set up in a way that the rich, you know, get the best access to education, and the poor get, you know, they have to be where they are. And it's it's not a great system. And I think all the time about how do we fix. It. Like as yeah. if as if someone's finally one day going to ask no, me, but I think about it. But quite well, a lot. I think it is important to think about how to fix it because one day you might meet someone, or you'll talk about it with me, or you know, it just gets out there. And so often you'll be at a party or something, and people come up and they know you're on telly, and they go, oh blah blah, and they talk to you about work, and then I say, what do you do? And they say, oh, it's pretty boring. I'm a teacher, and I'm like. Take that, erase that from your vocabulary, right. and I just ask them about their work. And I hope that by the end, I'm getting stuff from it. Oh, it's really frustrating that that's how teachers see themselves sometimes. You know, well, I mean, the interesting thing to me is like that sometimes I get this feedback, you know, particularly regruin, obviously, more than anything else, but that like people watch it at university that's used in their courses Unreal. and, you know, that sort of stuff. And the thing that I I realized that a few years ago is the things I've always been interested in are things when I am entertained, but I also kind of learn something at the end. Like people like walking away from something feeling smarter. The great appeal of like QI as a show is that it welcomes you in and you can enjoy that television program. Mm. But at the end, you'll walk away with a couple of things and you know more about the world. And I think, you know, there is some great joy in that. And that role of teaching, you know, like, yeah. like is so important. I mean, it's the one, it's the most pivotal one, mm. you know, and it is the most important one. And yet it is so undervalued in our society. And so how do you fix it? Like, you ca- can you pay people more? Is that how you do it? Do you have to raise the standards? I think one of the things you could definitely do, and I think it's a really clever idea, is like pay people the same maybe, but make them work four days a week. Yeah, yeah. Because A, we would attract more people in, I believe. Yeah, I agree. Because I think that a lot of people, what happens with teaching, as far as I can tell, is a lot of people go into it and they get burnt out really quickly yeah. by how hard it is yeah. and, pe- and teachers are leaving the industry. And, if you know, the old story is if they, all they had to do was teach, they'd stay and they'd love it. What happens is that they actually, it's all the admin, it's all the stuff that goes around it. It's parents having 
mm, slightly unrealistic expectations of what a school's actually supposed to provide. I think parents but also, have kind uh, of started going, my kid is brilliant. You're going, well, you know what? Maybe you should listen to me and I am the teacher and your kid's not. It's They're struggling and it's not because they're bad or you're doing a terrible job or maybe you could spend more time reading with them, whatever. But can we work together on this? And I'm not their keeper. I didn't have this child. I just have to look after them during the day and inspire them and teach them. And, you know, there's lots of problems with HSC, VC, you know, you know, we, you know, we're trying to, you know, make kids learn a certain amount of stuff that then they'll just regurgitate on a bit of paper and it's not quite the life lesson you want to teach them. But those people who spend so much time with them who are their mentors and role models, and all you need is one or two good teachers in six years of high school to go, I see you, I'm going to offer you this advantage, look at this book, I reckon go this direction. Oh, man, does not change everything. It can change a whole year for you at school when that happens. I mean, it can change, but your relationship with learning, which is the biggest thing of all to me, which is because here's what, like, Mm. if you talk about adapting in the world, like, the biggest capacity you can have, because here's, and this is the problem with conservatism at its very heart, and, like, this is not judging, like, you know, anyone who, like, you have your own political beliefs, but the problem eventually with any conservative position is that the the world moves on regardless. So if you look at Australia's attitude on marriage equality, people can try to hold on but guess what <laughs> you know what i mean the gate is already open the world has bolted we are at the back of the pack that we're normally oh, in it's going to change yeah and then there's going to be a point where all our major partners and allies have had it for so long that our not having i mean it's going to it change. look ridiculous yeah. it's always going to change you're the best thing that you can do is have the capacity to adapt because like people at university now a third of them or more are are studying for courses and jobs that won't exist by the time that they are qualified to do those jobs the thing that we've got to teach people is the joy that when something is hard that that's great because you know how to learn you know how to like you know do something or make something i guess it goes back to what you're saying about tim minchin is that idea that like upskill upskill you know. but, but also embrace upskilling embrace yes. the idea that something might be hard at the start you go oh, but i need to learn how to do this because i like learning because i was inspired to enjoy the idea of learning which is i like it when you go to a different country like uh, uh, amy and i are going to spain to a music festival mid-year and uh, and it was like one of those things of like well we just booked the tickets right and now we have to learn about spain and yep. now we have to learn where to go and what we want to do and like learn some language yes. and and some of that will be really hard work, you know. <laughs> even, even booking the fucking uh, tickets to the festival, the whole thing was in Spanish, and I'm trying to guess <gasps> on there. Like that is so hard booking well, stuff like that. I oh. mean, I'd done the translate, but the translate had half a crack. You know what I mean? Like the, tra- <laughs> the translated, like translated a few words that it got, and then there was a lot of other stuff that the translate was having nothing to do with. So I was really doing a bit of guessing, but. Open your mind to the idea yeah. that, like, not knowing how to do something and learning how to do something might be. But the attitude to learning, you're right. That's but the that's hard what one. teachers tell you. If you hate learning, if yeah. like if you get out of school and the thing you hate at the end is learning, then that's like the education system has failed you. And I think what you say about admin and all those sort of things, like, could you offer teachers the idea that, like, you know, you do it's a four day a week job, yep. and we give you an extra day, the fifth day, yeah, which is the day that, like, some weeks you may be able to do at home, but that's your kind of admin marking papers, whatever it is day. You're yeah. you're getting paid for that day still, but you can kind of do it in your own space. But it might be the day we put uh, parent teacher interviews or like those sort of things. It's kind of your, it's this all the it's the extra things that we're already expecting you to do day. But we'll also, day. but then people go, but you get amazing holidays. Why should you only work four days a week? It's all that stuff, you know, the criticism teachers get. And it's like, have you tried teaching um, eight different groups of kids uh, in eight different classes between nine and five? No, will you give it a crack and see how you go with 30 people in a class? Well, also the thing about that is that um, it's, 
uh, Reminas, come here. You so always. She you know, really is so she, affectionate. I know she is. She? she wants to get up, but she's, she wants it's to get okay. you. Come no, here. Good girl. Good girl, Ramona. Come on. Hang on. Why don't you go to your mum? Hang on. Wait. <laughs> she on. just gives you Hang the on. stare. I'm gonna... All right, we're back. Uh, Ramona was not giving up that time. So. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, teaching is something that uh, so. People do complain about the idea that, uh, you know, teachers get lots of holidays and those sort of things. But also, here's what I'm saying. I'm uh, Basically, what I'm saying is that I think the thing we can all agree on is the education system is failing our younger people. Like, in, in like Australia has an okay education system, but if we want to be, like, top of the world, like, I mean, you know, we are, like, on most surveys, like, you know, one of the top couple of uh, you know, places in the world to live on like you know across the board but education we're not in that top couple and we have the capacity to be in the, mm. that top couple so what can we do to change it up a little bit mm. i kind of like the idea of off yeah we might not be able to find enough money to offer them enough money but if you got people in who loved teaching and you gave them a schedule that enabled them to continue to love teaching mm. like at least we keep those people in mm. you might not be attracting a whole lot of other people but if we could work first on like the ones that you know mm. like you said that teacher who is going to change your life a bit mm. if we could work on the idea of not burning them out because uh-huh. they're, i bet they're the ones burning out yeah they the are. ones who give a shit yeah. because they're doing all that extra stuff the mm. ones who don't give a shit about that are mm. probably just not doing it as much and they don't care as much and they go home and they don't think about it all day but mm. the good ones the ones who are giving that extra attention mm. to that kid who needs it or you know taking that time to look through the immediate behavior to the behavior that might be behind it or you know those sort of things like really engaging their class preparing in a way that you know the next day like learning will be an adventure maybe you need to just give them less time like you know like don't make them do it as much don't Mm. burn them out and keep them in the system for a start i toured high schools doing shakespeare uh with the bell shakespeare company for two years so it was you me and three other actors in a van you know for six months driving around the country it was pretty great i have Uh to say and i couldn't believe i was getting paid oh my god how how old were you at this i was 27 i wasn't young but um but it was just that notion of actually getting paid it was nuts but you know you'd set up 200 seats and you'd usher them in and do shows and all that and you it was so amazing you could feel as soon as you walked into a school the atmosphere you could feel if it was a place where people were getting on and having a good time but there were a couple of a couple of Christian Brothers schools in Canberra, Will, that you walked into, and it was heavy with, with misery, right? Just misery, and you and don't express yourself, don't have a good time, you know, um, you know, teachers before the show saying this is a very funny show, and you're going, oh great, tell right. them that, and I won't laugh now at all, you know. But I, I, I get a guy to go out and yell that before every performance <laughs> I do, just to warm up the crowd. You ready, guy? Angry this guy. This is a very funny show, and then just walks off. Storms um, off, and it works a treat. Yeah, but um, but but even with home delivery, you know, we take them back to schools, and uh, you know, you can sense the schools where there's something going on, and you know, that can be about you know the whole how the teachers work together, how the the principal works with them, and all of that. But I want to open up a school. I think when I'm in my sixties, mm-hmm. not yet. Um, it'll be a drama school. Will it'll be for adults and children, and it would be called something like I'll come to you for a catchy title, but something like Don't Come Here if You Want to Be Famous School right. of Acting. Okay, and it would just be a place because I reckon in about ten fifteen years, people are not going to know how to be spatially aware around one another. They're not going to be able to look at each other in the eye. They're not going to be able to go to a party and talk to anyone. You know. Without the alcohol, just to start with. You know, why not? Give it a crack before your first nine beers. Um, Because really, 
we're going to have people who are socially inept and everything inept and it'll be a put your phone down area. I know. Can you do it for an hour and a half? Will it kill you? Maybe not. Um, I actually think that's going to become like a community service. Not even – I'll do it for free. Free. Uh, firstly, don't do it for free. Might as well. You might as well make a for few For the bucks. payment of the hall. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got to cover your costs. So sure. The very, you know, payment I mean, of the hall. You want a nice hall for a start, mm, yeah. like good acoustics, you <laughs> know. warm in the winter, cool in summer, sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe ex-church space, you know, like yeah, I love it used to ex- be a church yes, space, but yes. like it's been kind of converted. Maybe there's an upstairs sort of like living area yes. or whatever, but you can kind of do the other stuff downstairs. Yeah. And there's a tea room and a coffee room. Yeah. As uh, well. A separate one? So, yeah. So- <laughs> I mean, it seems yep. it seems unnecessarily extravagant. Is that but- extravagant? <laughs> or a good cafe nearby, and you'll have time to go and get one. But it's not all about that, right? You just could it, gotta- could it be? Okay, maybe this is too much. Now you will have to charge for this, but maybe if you wanted to, um, I don't know if you read about the guy who uh, wrote the you know Happy Dickheads Day or whatever it was. Oh, or- how good was that? Right. Have a great happy yeah Happy Dickhead Day. Yeah, have yeah, a yeah. great Dickheads Day. Yeah, National it was the cafe day, who had put that sign out on Australia Day. Yeah. Well, I read that it actually isn't a cafe. Like he has a cafe, but he's an artist. Yeah, that's right. And just in the like corner of his like a space that he uses for his art, he has a little cafe. Uh, you know, helps with some of the costs that and that sort of thing. I feel like that's. I love that idea. Yeah, I feel like. Would that's I have your vibe. to do a barista course? You, I don't think you work in the cafe. I think okay. you have like okay. one of the other girls. I'm just going to write this down as a business plan. One of the other girls who helps you with the course and the hall. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're more the course and the hall. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. She's like, she's a bit more like hands on and hands a bit on. more modern. You know. Yeah. A bit more modern, a bit not more like modern. Me. Yes, I see where you're going. Right, you so know. So she's bringing the younger crew. Yeah. And I'm there for the oldies. Yep, well, good yeah. on you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want it to be like, you know, like multi generational. <laughs> you can't just have like, oh, mummy, are we going to see that? No. Screen? No. <laughs> Well, I mean, none of that. No, my core demographic, because of Rockwiz, right. is men in their mid 50s. So I'll yeah. be getting a lot of guys in their mid 50s coming to learn how to look into each other's eyes again. Right. Or how to say yes. Sometimes say no, but sometimes say yes. Or just play. No one's playful anymore. Everyone's got their head down. And there'd probably be some excellent masseuse uh, nearby because, of course, now everyone's getting that looking down. Like my osteo reckons that um, about eight years ago, they all had a bit of a chat one day at tea or all the osteos were going, are you getting people coming in with this weird thing in their shoulders? And it was from lying in bed holding up your phone and to, so it affects this certain part of the top of your shoulder there, and they were all getting the same injuries. Now we're regressing. We're all we're dumb skilling, dumb skilling down. Skill up. No, I agree with that. It's bad out there. Yeah. Uh, I do agree that we haven't adapted to it. I think that's the main problem. It's like you know, I have no problem with you looking up a map on your mobile phone when you're out and about. It's no. amazing that we have this technology these days to do that. Yes. But you also need to be aware. It's my big thing is, and I say this all the time, and I don't know what this philosophy is, but I have a big thing about uh, private spaces versus <gasps> public spaces. And my big thing is that I think that we there are too many rules about uh, what we're allowed to do in our private space. You know, like I think I should be able to make choices about, you know, things that I do in my life as, a, you know, an adult who is in charge of my own life that I can do in the privacy of my home that I don't expect to do in the in the broader world. I think we have that out of balance at the moment mm. because people get out in the world. When I'm out in the world, I just obey a different set of rules because I realise we're all here together and I am no more special than anybody else. And, and so, should, yes. like it's teamwork when you're out of the house. Yes. When you're in the house by yourself, do whatever what the fuck you want to do. Thanking you. Right? I know. 
But when you're out there, it's team. It's teamwork. We're all in this together. I know. And, I mean, I've gotten into arguments with people, and you've got to be careful, obviously. You know, just after 9-11, there were, I was walking down Bono Junction <laughs> great, Station. Great way for this Great time, I know. But, I mean, it was a bit, look, it was a few weeks after it. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, I mean, it was a very shocking thing, right? Uh, I whatever mean, you was. think. Whatever you think, wherever you, you know, things lie. And there were a group of kids at Bono Junction Station milling around and one boy was kicking another boy on the ground, like really hoeing into him, and the other kids were watching. Anyway, I walked past and I just go, what are you doing? Right. My voice went up about nine octaves and I sounded like a mental case, but what are you doing? This is crazy. Can't you see what's going on around you? What are you doing? This is terrible. And they look up at me and, you know, the boy being kicked is almost going, please don't. Right. Like, you'll only make it worse. This is and I'm a going, ritual. How can I be making this worse? Yeah. Anyway, and then the boy's looking at me. And, of course, the boy that's doing the kicking is a very good-looking guy. You know, right. he's obviously, you know, the cool one of the group head or whatever. Kicker. Head kicker. Head, head kicker. Yeah. And anyway, we get into this strange discussion. And I'm looking around going, why, no, why is no one else right. stopping you? And there's, they're all boys and there's only one girl. And at one point I turn on the girl. I mean, what is the matter with me? And I go, and you, what are you doing? Hey, like she's supposed to know better because she's a girl. Right. Anyway. She's I'm ha- like, what happened to yes or women? I'm not, I mean, I'm just, I've just lost my tiny mind. I'm yelling right. at them. And then one of them goes, aren't you on full frontal? It was totally full frontal. I uh. wanted to correct him. And I just thought, yeah, you can't actually get into this. You know, they're not even listening to you. And I've, I felt like an old lady and I was only 30. Right. And you're trying to sort of say to someone, this is crazy behaviour, don't do this, don't be cruel to one another. And you try and step in because we're, we're in the big world now, we're in the big world. Jesus, if we're not going to kind of, oh, forget it. I was shaking like a leaf all the way home. I just, yeah, it was a battle lost. It's a, it's a, a thing that I say a lot, but it, it, there are very simple things where you can make the world a nicer place every day. If you want to, like this morning, I mean, this is a kind of a bit, anyway, whatever. I'm just going to tell you the story. Good on you. Um, uh, I, I have a bit in my stand-up about how when I sold the big issue, because I sold the big issue to help them, you know, like a, raise you know, a bit of publicity. And the thing I remember, we were in the business district of Sydney and people wouldn't even look us in the eye. You know, the whole idea was... So they didn't even clock you. No. because they, the whole Because they the... immediately see the big issue, like, from wherever they are, and their eyes go down from there. Right. They don't get to the, when they're a metre away from you. It's amazing to watch when you're next to it. You literally just see waves of people kind of from about 10 metres away spot that there's a big issue. People. Like, kind of like if there's a charity person in yeah. the street or whatever, and you see them and you're like... Well, I do walk away from them, right. yes. Uh, yeah, but... but I'll go head down, I'll go over yeah. there or whatever. People make early choices on this stuff, right? <laughs> And it was amazing. And so I tell this bit in, in my stand-up about how I always, like, you know, uh, like look Big Issue people in the eye and, ho- and I stop and always buy a copy of The Big Issue. And, and I, you know, I do that stand-up. And that used to be true, but I've been away a bit and I hadn't run into a Big Issue person recently. And uh, then this morning I was walking through the city and I was, like, actually in a bit of a, a rush uh, to get to, I was going between two radio interviews, basically. So I had, like, half an hour from to walk from one end of town to the other. But it takes... About 20, 25 minutes. So I had like a little window spare, but I was like, maybe I'll get a coffee in between, right? So that's in my headspace. And then in the middle, like there's the big issue person. And and I go, oh God, if I stop for the big issue person, I probably am not going to get my coffee. Mm -hmm. Like I've got enough time to stop for the big issue person. But it means that like, you know, to get to the radio thing, I'm going to lose my coffee at the other end. And I went to walk past the big issue person. I really did. I just like my head made that decision. And I was like, oh, I've got my headphones on, head down, just keep going, you know? 
and then I stopped and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Just stop and like, you know, give this woman like money for the big issue, you know? So I stopped. Like, I mean, particularly because I say it publicly, mm. don't be a fucking hypocrite. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you say this to people, mm. then fucking act the way that you say that you are. So I stopped and I like, so I go, anyway, uh, I had a $20 note and the big issue is $7 and it was her first big issue of the day. Oh. So she didn't have any change. Right. So then she's like, oh, look, um, I'm going to have to go across the road to the 7-Eleven to get some change. Um, are you in a rush? And I was in a rush, but I was like, now I'm in, right? Now I can't just like, well, fuck you. Like, I'm taking my 20 and going. So I was stood there, like now probably running late, like, you know, to the point where I kind of had to walk faster the next thing yeah. like, so that she would come back with her change. But anyway, I was glad that I, I did it because I think that when you're in public, like just small things. You could have bought four copies and given them to friends. Oh, when she walked away, the thing that I like, of course, that I should have done was just gone, just keep the twenty. Yeah, like that was the simplest thing. You're it would loaded. have been the most obvious thing. Well, I mean, I could, you know, that would have been fine, and it would have been for a good so cause. So you did a nice thing but today, course, but you could have done a nicer thing. Well, well, here's okay. I'll ask you this question, please. Right, I agree with you. So this was a real journey. <laughs> <laughs> it really was right. Firstly, I was going to make a like yeah. a bad decision. Then yeah. I decided to make the good decision. You made the good decision. Then, like, I decided to stay, and which was the good decision. But then I realized that I could have made a better decision, which was just keep the twenty, right? Yeah. And then I realized that I could have also, like, once I'd made that decision, just walked off. Yes. And then she would have kept the twenty regardless. But then I was tossing up in my head. Is it more rude now that she's gone to the effort to go and get the change? God, would it yes. be more rude if I've gone or would she have preached? And now in retrospect saying this out loud, I feel like I should have just gone. Yes. That's what I've realised. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that made me well, look. you uh, did look it on. You sorry. did something lovely I had a today. crack and not quite got it, did I? <laughs> but, you, but this is the thing. We're human. You're allowed right. to be human. But back to this privacy thing, um, you know, people just don't. People have no boundaries anymore. Like even, even well, certainly not people in the media or, or celebrities or all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, they make an art form of it. Can you can you hear that beautiful th- thunder? Is that what that is? That's thunder. I'm going to open the door again. Yeah, please well, do for it's fresh hot air. Hot in here. There's amaz- There's going to be a huge, amazing hail thunderstorm. Oh, good. I'm yeah. happy about that. Yeah, it was needed. Yeah, I, I, like, I like a bit of rain and thunder. Ooh, I don't yeah. mind the hot weather. Amy hates it though, so you know that it'll get humid. Yeah, but um, it's uh, my birthday on the weekend, so today's my uh, oh. my uh, sort of last day of work. I'm going to get a bunch of work done today, and then uh, kind of have the weekend off. I've been Good working pretty you. hard. So, do you mind me asking how old you're turning? I don't mind. Uh, Forty two. Wow. 42. And how does that sit for you? Yeah. All right. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, in general, I, I've kind of felt like uh, my 40s have been probably from 37 onwards, like this kind of period, like, you know, this last sort of five years have been mm. probably the happiest I've ever been on, for a range of reasons. So, Great. Yeah, so I think so, yeah. And yeah. I like getting older. Yeah, I do too. There's a lot of things that come with it that I... Don't um, like. Uh, like health things and, like, oh. those sort of things. Yeah. But intellectually and where I am in my life and those sort of things, like, in regard to... The thing I love about it the most is all the things I don't care about anymore. That's oh, so good. I think that's the the greatest thing oh, about it. Is like it. I still care as much, if not more, about the things that are important to me. Mm. But the the little amount of shit that I could give for all the other <laughs> stuff, do you know what I mean? I just don't care. 
we were having like a, a private conversation beforehand about like someone, some like you know, some dickhead had come up to me at yeah. a bar and giving yeah. me comedy advice, and I was like, it's just nice to not care. Oh, it's like, so just good, and not get like, angry. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh no, I don't care. I'm annoyed that you're doing yeah. this right yeah. now, but yeah. <sighs> but see, the less you say, and the more you let him talk. You know, the more he's going to talk himself into a spiral. But right. yeah, gee, you got to love. You got to. I wonder if people go up to like newsreaders and tell them. I mean, I'm sure they do. Or I'm sure they, go, they do. Well, they, well, parents certainly go up to teachers and say, "You're not teaching properly." You're going. Are you in the class with me? No. How well, would you know? I would argue, and you know, I, there I have no evidence to back this up. It's like every conversation I, I have. <laughs> but I like this. You've got years of wisdom. You've got 42 years of wisdom. I, I think sometimes we learn something by uh, speculation more than we learn. Like you know, we can find. Out, this is the thing about technology. Uh, you can find out the answer immediately now, but I think that perhaps we're losing something from the working out. Because in the old days, our brains would have to, if you couldn't immediately find out why something, like you know, how to do something, you would actually have to try to work out yeah. how something worked. And if you can work out something, how something works, it gives you an understanding at least next time when you go back to that thing. Like, you know, how to work your way through it might be a different problem, but you've got that experience of going, well, I kind of can break something down. You know, in this age of immediate answers, we don't actually do any of the working. It's but, like- I, but ironically, you've got people, uh, Stephen Fry will say, he doesn't understand when people say I'm bored. Or right. I've had no education. You're going, well, you now have this tool right. that you can get any kind of it. And it's not even about doing the course. It's being like, a well, you know when you meet a well-read person, you yeah. go, you're someone who just reads books and knows stuff. I have to say musicians bloody hell they're some of the best read people i've ever met in my life right. and funniest because they have a lot of spare time yeah and they love read i mean they read interesting stuff take they're a book on the road smart because right. all the music stuff and just this sense of going you know you've got to be able to talk about more than just one thing right it's nuts anyway back to you uh i don't even know what i was trying the to things say. that you don't care about anymore now that you are of a certain age yeah oh, well firstly i think that's good you can just get rid of all that shit that you don't like give a shit about so i think that's like a weight off your shoulders like you know that's the greatest thing about being older and then you can kind of concentrate on the things that what make were you, you worried about so much in your 20s that or 30s that you don't worry about in your 40s i mean it's funny we were just having that little conversation about like you know the idea of like having an extra house for example <laughs> like do you know what I mean yeah. like like it's such a weird thing to say but that idea of like going there would have been a time in my life where i was like well of course i'll earn some more money and i'll mm. you know, do this job so i can have a holiday house in blah 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 mm. or like I think the one that I always come back to is, like, don't live your life. You've got to ask yourself what makes me happy, right? Yeah. And, like, often, like, the thing that makes me happiest about my job, like, you know when you're a stand-up comedian, often people people judge stand-up comedy. Their, their opinion of what it's the life of a stand-up comedian is like is the bit they see, which is me walking on stage and telling the jokes and people are like oh my god that's the hardest job in the world right people say that all the time it's ridiculous that's the easiest bit of it like once you yeah, get good yeah. at it and once you if you've prepared properly like you know on a on an average night that's the easiest hour you will spend of your day is doing the show for right? you but still for people and you know this it's an old story of people the most terrifying thing is speaking in public right I think that's what they equate it with too. They think you're going to talk for an hour in public remembering things in your head. How do you do that? Right. And I absolutely agree with that. But what they're not looking at is the rest of the job. Sure. And that's the only point I'm really trying to make is that's what they think being a stand-up comedian is. And they think that the value, like in the old days, people think that you're like, oh, you must love to get up in front of people and be on stage. You must get such a thrill from that or whatever. And I was like... I, I like for my shows to go well because yeah. I am proud of them and I hope that they will go well and I always try my best. But how much of my ego is a, is attached to that in any real sense in my real life? 
I don't think a lot. Like, yeah. you know, like it doesn't, yeah. Amy doesn't give a shit. Mm. The dogs don't give a shit. Mm. Like in my life, my friends and whatever don't judge me by those standards. Mm. So, I mean, the only person I'd be letting down is like, yeah, hey, I might feel bad if the shows were going badly because I thought I had done a bad job preparing or whatever. Most of my life is here. You know, I get mm. to record this podcast and I get to, to sit tank. in that. Like, but if you started to tank on stage and then you were losing work and then you weren't getting paid, that everyone would start to care then because they'd go. Well, if I couldn't pay my bills, yeah, sure. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying in like in an ego sense. Oh, in an ego sense. So like if it all went away, like, you know, I don't want it to go so away. So what would you reinvent I'm, yourself as? Well, you've, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to walk away. Like that's. But if I, you had to, I'm right. saying to you, you've got a limited amount of time. You were born with a limited amount of time to be a stand-up comedian and you've done very well. Well done. Here's the f- prize. Yeah. Very good. Now you're 42. You've got all these other years to live. What job would you do? What would you do? Well, I think for a while I wouldn't do anything. Yeah. Like if I could. Like I think that would be the first thing. Like I'd travel if I could, but I'd maybe just go and live somewhere. And Like I would be... You know, like I've got books out on those shelves. But that, two like, years on, you've read all the books and you're really going, God, I mean, there's really no point getting up unless it's, I mean, you know, it's fun for a while you're just getting up and finding coffee and all that. But, I mean, I reckon by the second, third year, oh, if you could see Will's face, everyone, you'd go, no, he's begging to differ. Yeah. I, I gotta really? Be, yeah, i got to be honest with so, you. So really, if I mean, you didn't have to perform at 8 o'clock at the comedy store, you probably just wouldn't go. So it's your discipline. And I think my day would be spent pretty much consuming the same sort of things like you know the the things i consume for my work you know i read the, the articles but don't you want, want to spit it out you consume to spit out you consume to share or would just talking at friends and having dinner parties be enough um i don't know because obviously i haven't experienced it but i think that i could yeah i think i could be done with it like i don't think i ever want to be but mm. i think that if there was some reason that i needed to be mm. that i don't think that like who, whoever i am as a person and like the things that i like judge myself by and sometimes i definitely let myself down by those standards mm. so few of them have to do with that specifically yeah i can be doing a really great or well-regarded thing but if i know that i am like cheating it in some way or hadn't quite you know got it to the point or whatever the fuck it is that i you know i judge myself by my own standards much more than like by an external you know kind of perspective on those standards yeah now that maybe that's easy to do from a position of when things are going well Well, you know maybe that's a very like lovely thought experiment for me to have from a position where at least in the near future that isn't something that i actually have to deal with who knows i don't know what the answer to that is but in like a but in my head i kind of think that Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. All right, um, tell me about this. We haven't really done much biographical stuff, but oh. we should, like, you know, it's always nice to do some. May as well. Um, so, uh, so you were 27 when you finished uh, your course. I know. So, so, ha- old. so had you done something previous to that that you had decided not to pursue, or why, why, why at 27 was that? Give me a sense of that. Well, I guess, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do after year 12 and a friend of mine was going to do a BA. I didn't know what a BA was. Had I'm you like, done well at school? How did you go at school? Oh, uh, look, yeah, I did only because I did French. 
and I speak fluent French, and so and in, that's because because you, you were you were born in France, born right? there. Dad's French, Mum's Australian, but a French teacher, so grew up with the language. Went to a French primary school in okay. Sydney, which is amazing. All right, little tiny bloody thing. French coming to this country, oh, staying at their over. own schools, mate. I know, bringing you decent food, yeah. yeah, knowing how to cook or something. Is this bloody croissant halal? Oh, I've got confused. I don't Jesus, even know what I'm is that how you do about. a steak rare? What's going on? <laughs> Blur. Um, so hang on, what did your dad do? Did you say he he had. Uh, a restaurant. Oh, a French restaurant? No, an Australian restaurant to Shut begin up. with. Shut up. Bondi Road. Uh-huh. It was called the Home Cooking Restaurant. Okay. And they for $1.25, you could get a three-course meal. You got a soup, a roast of your choice with veggies, and tapioca and rhubarb. Or, right. you know, or, or jelly and ice cream. Okay. It was really Aussie in the 70s, really right. Aussie. And the kitchen closed at 8 p.m. Yep. 8 p.m. Done. So done by 9.30. Dinner's done, mate. Yeah, done by that. So people were coming for dinner at 5. So it was a very community, very suburban kind of restaurant. Okay. And um, and actually our producer, Polly Connolly, who you've worked with before as well, on obviously on, on Gruen, and she works on home delivery, was saying, oh, my brother the other day, who's mates with Mel Gibson and Steve Bisley, they used to go there for dinner apparently. Oh, is that? Well, because it was $1.25. Yeah, you would. Three-course yeah. meal, all you can eat. And a, and a bottomless cup of coffee and tea, obviously. Oh. Instant coffee. Um, the food was really basic, obviously, but what it enabled my dad to do, I think, was to learn how to run a business. Right. How do you timetable, time manage, all that? And he was in charge. He did it all. Um, and then later on he had French restaurants. But... But back to you saying before about year 12, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Did a BA at uni, thought university was the most weird, terrifying. I mean, having to wear something new every day. I had uniforms all that time and all of a sudden you're having to wear something new, are you? Can you wear the same thing? I'm totally Were you, were you living at home or away from home? At home. Okay. And then joined the Dramatic Society and yeah. that's when you find your group, obviously. You find your clan, you have a great time. And, and then had pe- you done stuff at high school that was dramatic? It's on Saturdays. Uh-huh. I went to a place called Philip Street Theatre where we did drama. Nicole Kidden was in the morning group. David Wenham was in my group in the oh, afternoon. Yeah, is that right? David. Look at that. And he was a bit older than us too, David, yeah. and would just always be the best. You know when you just go, <laughs> you're just the best, obviously. Like so yeah. good at what he did. I mean, he's continued to be the best pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I know. It was amazing. Life, so, so, you know, but... But there was no drama at high school. That's why I had to go somewhere on a Saturday. Right, they didn't, didn't have, have it. it. Didn't have it. No, no blood, no blood uh, drama course, to, as they call it now. To, drama to was my favourite. Uh, Did you have school. it? Yeah, we had a drama. Good, it was good too. A woman called Rita Weir. She was an older, like, a, well, I mean, older than the other teachers. Not. You know, yeah. older, older. Um, and she was just a real, like, you know, when you talk about uh, teachers you respond to. Like, I mean, I was, have always been, um, I've had, uh, like, and I don't know, really know where it comes from, but I don't react uh, well to things that I consider to be an unearned authority. Like, the things that always get me in trouble is, like, my immediate, I can't, like, I, you know, I have to call bullshit on unearned authority. Like, you know, so teachers, you know, at school and that sort of stuff, it was always, like, wow. within me. And it's always the thing that gets me in trouble, you know, like, you know. And uh, I, um, she was, she had authority. That's what it was. She just was a, you know, she was a class above everybody else. Mm. And I just knew that I couldn't get away with my bullshit with her. Like, you wow. know, but she wasn't like strict or anything. And she wasn't like, she was just like, you knew, she knew what she was and doing. And did you do plays or drama games? Or? Uh, we did all of that sort of stuff. We did theatre sports as well. We did, but we did, yeah, plays and serious stuff and like monologues and like, you know. What monologue would you have done, do you I think? I mean, I do remember that I did, uh, <laughs> 
or did a Billy Bragg song oh, as like a unreal. Yeah, nice. yeah. So it was like uh, it might have been. Uh, was it the was it Valentine's Day is over maybe but anyway it was one of the ones that has like a kind of a, um, a more an internal story yeah. like you know within it and I did this like you know sort of like monologue great interpretation idea. of yeah that's so, a great idea yeah and we did like because house- his songs really do lend themselves to that I mean it's and we did house plays and stuff like that so we would have a house drama competition so like you know four teams against each other and like. Uh, and, yeah, it was, like, a big competition. But I used to write, and when I say write, let's be completely honest about this, Julia, <laughs> mostly compile. Um, <laughs> yes, the old compile. Um, like, uh, but basically because in the house drama competition, you needed 30 minutes. And oh. there wasn't a lot of plays that were being written that for children no. to do that went for 30 minutes. And, like, only if they were, there were these, like, one scene, one hand sort of things where, like, four people are in maximum. So the four kids who want – everyone wanted to be in the play, right? So when I was in charge, I decided, because <laughs> this is what I like to do. I, like, I know better than everybody. Here's what we're doing this year. I auditioned everybody, like, everyone who wanted to get in. I said, like, come and do an audition and we will assess you and then we will, like, give you a part in it, like, according to, like, you know, the ability you have. But everybody, if you want to be in it, we will find, like, at least a line or, like, a, you can be part of a group or whatever. People right. can be in it. So we did this whole rehearsal and then I went away and, like, wrote and, like, got this vague storyline. It was called... Uh, uh, gunfight at the Ozone Corral. Oh, excellent. Yeah, because it oh, was like... Oh, it's a piece about social... It had excellent. an environmental message. Oh, I love it. I about love the it. ozone layer, which was clearly going to be the biggest story environmental ever. story ever. So, Completely forgotten now. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the glory days when we gave a shit about the ozone layer. When ozone was just the catchword. That was the big one. We're like, oh, there's a hole in the ozone layer. This oh. will be the worst thing that ever happens to the atmosphere. Oh, um, okay, so I wrote that and, again, like, you know, stole and compiled and, like, put in, you know, jokes that were, like, had make no sense, but, were, like, about teachers and stuff like Perfect. that. But it was very entertaining. Yes. And everyone got to be in it and we won that. And then, so now they, apparently, they, like, a lot of them all write them. Like, it's become, like, a thing that they do at the school Unreal. now. Unreal. Yeah, so so we had a pretty good drama, like, Oh, scene. I love drama. I think drama's great. But I think, I think too. But I have done no acting in my life, like, in my adult life. I've, I have not acted. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Hmm. No. Well, I mean, you know, what happens too is that once you're at university and you're mixing with these great group of people, you know, and we were spending probably way too much time doing shows than going to lectures, but everyone starts auditioning for NIDA and VCA and Whopper and Nepean and and you would all wait for that time of year and some of us would get in and, you know, and then I got into VCA quite late at 24. I think I think my mother breathed a sigh of relief. Right. There was going to be some structure. Um, I didn't finish my BA. I did eight-ninths of it. Ugh. Didn't finish, yeah. Uh, and, you uh, know, I've gone back since, right, and I've spoken, <laughs> like I've spo- I, I emceed an event for uh-huh. the for Sydney University and jokingly said to the Vice-Chancellor, and, you know, I'm willing to pay. I mean, I know I'm way over the 10-year mark. Right. I'm willing to pay. I want to do third-year English. I'd love to. And he went, yeah, let's see what we do. Write them a couple of emails. Nothing. 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 Mate, you should make it part of your next appearance, Fee. Just say, give me the extra credit. I'll I, come and I, do the, the gig is, for the I actually extra want credit. to do the bloody thing. I'll sure. go to somewhere else. I will go to another university. Do it and independently. Do it. I bloody well will. Yeah, you've got eight ninths at Sydney Uni and a ninth of it at <laughs> Macquarie. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but the great Also, I love the idea that, you know what? It's an arts degree. Yeah. Eight, eight ninths will do. I know. But I mean. <laughs> for any job, here's, here's what I'm going to say. This may, 
This might sound controversial, but here it is. This is my rule. Any job that they will give you that needs an arts degree, you can also do with eight ninths of the arts degree. I agree, Will, <laughs> but I haven't got the bit of paper. And you know what the problem with that is? I've got one. I've never uh, – No, but see, if I want to do teaching, like actually do a proper dip in yeah, teaching, sure. it would be good to have the BA. Of course, yeah, yeah. That's shit. But I went to VCA where the, where the, the qualification at VCA was a – Diploma of Dramatic Art. The following oh. year they changed it to a bachelor. I mean, I was so angry about that. Anyway, oh, no. but the amazing thing about acting school, certainly VCA, where one of the first days we had there, we actually had to wash the floors, part of the As kind of acting theatre of cruelty, yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, is that I reckon we were talking about learning before. This is the uh, Jim's mowing technique. <laughs> You guys just have to do gardening for six months. Uh, this is no, this is a technique. It's very well established. It's, you've just got to do it. Yeah, you've just got to do it. Well, if you're going to be lying on the floor all that time, I don't know. Right. It's like a little theatre of cruelty, but I loved, right. I loved it. I mean, imagine you can. Make, we just love yeah. it. Today you'll be pretending oh. to make iPhones. I know. That's an acting oh, challenge. Oh, that is such an acting <laughs> challenge. It's not very good for the eyes. It's right. quite small work. Just, yeah, just really. It's very imaginative. Yeah. Um, and um, but I reckon I learned how to learn there. Okay. It wasn't at uni. It wasn't at school. It was learning that, because I remember going there going, well, you know, I've been to university. I've only done eight-ninths of it, sure. Right. But there was a little group of us who were like, it's about being smart. And had a teacher say to me once, intellect doesn't work on stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Intuition does and, and instinct does. And I went, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. And I started looking at my other classmates that were blooming like flowers sort of six months in, and I was really stuck. And I was on probation for a while and shit scared for two weeks. You're going, well, do you want to be here? I mean, do you want to be here? Because, you know, they'd said to me, you've done a lot of work already. Like I did quite a bit of work with um, Andrew Denton on The Money or The Gun. I did yep. four episodes of that and had done work before with theatre sports. And you're sort of going, oh, do you know everything maybe? And you don't, obviously. So to kind of have to reassess it and got through my probation period but also had this fantastic movement teacher, Anne Thompson, who <laughs> said to me once, you do realise you're constantly seeking my approval? I said, no, I'm not. And then all the moments flashed back in my mind of me in class going, Anne, like literally, Anne, is this right? To be constantly asking for someone's permission, to be constantly doing performance so that someone sees you in that way all the time will kill you. It's exhausting. I don't think that's a healthy reason to be performing. She said, you've got to find a way to work for yourself. You've got to find a way for it to be interesting for you because if it's not interesting for you, it sure as hell won't be interesting for us. I mean, what you've said is like absolutely, absolutely correct. Like, And you can... Performance at its like I've said this before, but if performance was fair, if it if it worked in that intellectual way, like the top pop songs would be the people that we identified as being the best singers, and we would get the best songwriters, and we would match the best songs in the world with the best singers, and that would be our entertainment. But it's not like you know some of the biggest artists in the world have like terrible voices or like yeah. things that wouldn't be you know traditionally. I can't even play the instruments that yeah. well. You know the greatest band of all time, like the Beatles. You know like had three chords for you know the first yeah. half of their career. You know like you don't. It, it doesn't necessarily work like that. There's something magic about performance, and I think that when you're intellectualizing it, you know you've got to be in the moment. You've got to take all your experiences, but you've got to then be be in it, and you can't. There is nothing worse than someone on stage. Sometimes you're just seeing comedy or a lot of the time where you're just like, why doesn't this work? And you're like, because they want, they need too much to be liked 
and the audience can smell it. Oh, it's awful. Like, the audience can smell it. You've got to be in a performance state. Like, well, I mean, I think that I have got to be in a performance state. What works best for me is you've got to radiate that thing of going, of course I want to do a good job and everybody, I want everyone in this room to have the best show that they could possibly have. But to allow them to do that, what I need to bring to the table Mm. is an attitude, a slight attitude that... I don't give a shit what yeah, they think. I agree. Right. Now, there's a difference between that and not giving a shit of what course. they think. Yeah. I, I had somebody give me some feedback. I wore my tracksuit pants on stage one night at some gig, which I thought was funny. Like, I was meant to be funny. <laughs> I'm at this big gig and, like, I'm wearing tracksuit pants. So brave. And I was kind of like, I was trying to, like, play against that idea that we're in this massive room and I'm doing this show that, like, is my tight sh- But she was, like, really, like, she thought it was disrespectful to the audience. That was not the intention, but I can understand that perhaps, you know, you could have viewed it through that prism. I don't see it as disrespectful. It just doesn't look good. But I just, well, I, she also pointed oh. that out. But she thought it was disrespectful, which was not my intention. Sure. But the point being that you've got to kind of just go sometimes, well, fuck it. I, yeah. was, I made a choice. And not everyone's going to love my choice. And maybe, I might, maybe I'll take her feedback on board and go, okay, well, mm. I didn't think of it through that prism. So now I can kind of like, you know, think about it through that and then make a choice one way or the other. But you kind of got to make your own choices. Yeah. Like if you're trying to get it right for everyone in the room, mm. not everyone's going to agree anyway. Oh, man, that's the biggest thing, isn't it? Steve Martin talked about going, he would pretend he was super confident sometimes. I mean, I hate that expression, fake it till you make it. It drives me nuts because I think people overuse it and they don't know what they're saying. But to pretend you're more confident and you're not afraid of your audience actually goes a long way to putting you in the right place so that they're in the right place or something. And I just love that, that I thought you can pretend to be more confident than you are to just get through and sometimes it's that first two minutes on stage like I've been in plays where I'm backstage going why am I doing this why am I doing this I'm nuts and as soon as you walk on it slowly starts to dissipate if you're lucky um it's this way and then you're fine I think what it is is the audience just want to know that they can sit back and relax yeah and as a performer you've just got to kind of reassure them that that is the case like essentially these people have all come out to enjoy something like most of them, unless they're like a particularly mean spirited person for some reason, <laughs> well, yeah. like they like you know, unless you're you know, getting yeah. a babysitter and fucking parking in the city and then coming out to see a show just to hate it, then you know what? There's nothing I can do to please you anyway. Mm, <laughs> You've already made yeah. up your mind. But most people want to have a good time, and you're just trying to facilitate that good time. Mm. You see it at comedy rooms all the time. People are just like they want it. They don't want it to be bad. And so there's that nerve and connection. The minute somebody goes, it's okay, I got mm. this. It's the captain's announcement at the start of a flight. Yeah. If the captain, we don't need that information. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you know what I mean? Like no one needs to know which direction we're taking off, how fast we're going to fly, any of that. No. It's just essentially saying to everybody, yeah. hey, uh, someone up here has thought this through <laughs> and I know what I'm doing. And that's why when they suddenly like, you know, pause or if they don't seem really confident, suddenly you're like, uh, should I... Um, Get off this plane. Let me just actually, you know what, today I'm going to pay some attention to where the life jacket is. Just as uh, I normally ignore that. I normally read the magazine, but today I'm going to. Hey, I wanted to ask you, one of the things that really struck me, um, it, I will, it will segue back to, to the thing, it, when, David, when David Bowie died and so much, of course, comes out, it's great stuff comes up to read and, you know, all that. But he, there was this interview where he was saying, um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't go into rock and roll now because it's, it's actually a legitimate job option. You know, when I was a rock star or when I started doing rock or music, you were literally spat on. It was really something against authority. It was the last thing you'd want to do. And now it's genuinely, oh, fantastic. 
fantastic. Good on you. You're going to be a musician. Do you feel that with comedy? Do you feel like for stand-ups, as you were saying before, you know, you see new people coming through and they're just so desperately wanting to be liked. Wanting... Now it's literally is like, job. I mean, you can imagine the school counsellor at school going, I think you'd be a terrific stand-up, Louise. Well, thank you. And off you go. You're funny. You're quick-witted. You could be a stand-up comedian. You can go into radio. You can go into television. You can write. There are a myriad of job opportunities. When I started it 20 years ago, it was running away to join the circus. Yeah. Still. And that's the thing I think that partly does do that. Like, I mean, you can be like, like when somebody gives you negative feedback these days, you're like, well, you are the exception. Like the first three or four years of my life, mm. it was nothing but negative feedback, you yeah. know, really. Yeah. Like my life was hard and it was a hard struggle. Like because when I did it, I just ran away because I liked comedy. Mm. I wanted to be around it and I wanted mm. to hang out with comedians. And I never really had any great dream that I could be like a stand-up comedian my but own. You'd done, you'd done, you'd had proper jobs before. I was a journalist. Yeah. yeah. So there's something about the, the fear and the excitement and the adrenaline because I think that's what it becomes. It becomes like a test. Um, and for me, I, I can only compare it to improv because I, you know, with plays, you know, you kind of know what you're going to say with it. But, uh-huh. but with with stand up, there must be a part of you that goes, well, I could have this job, but there's something about getting up there and I'm testing myself to see, can I make people laugh for 20 minutes? I say it all the time. That I, I think that stand ups choose stand up because they know it is an an unmasterable job. Even right. if you are good at it, mm. you are never perfect at it and if the minute you are perfect at it there's a moment of perfection it moves on and if you don't keep moving on yourself you know it's going to move on without you it is a very hard thing to master and i think part of the challenge is like can i be you know can i try something that like you know i can do great a hundred times in a row and then one night for you know you know some reason Mm. it's just it's going to be like i can't do it it's going to be like i literally am not capable of doing this thing i think there's a a thrill to that but i wanted to talk to you about improv like because because we got to improv and i think it is a good like example of like what we're talking about i did a series of shows a couple of years ago called uh what you talking about will and basically they were improvised stand-up shows like crowd work shows really so i just walk on stage at the sydney comedy store and i would do an hour that was like literally off the top of my head or like you know i'd ask people questions and bounce off them with like you know what the shows would be and somebody asked me beforehand they were like oh well surely you must have something up your sleeve you know and i said no the trick is you got to have nothing up your sleeve because the minute you got something up your sleeve that's the only place your brain will go your brain will be taking you everywhere towards that thing yeah like you know to be purely in the moment to people you better improvise something in a funny way mm. like you have to get rid of all that shit and just be in that moment yeah. like kind of like surrender yourself to the fact that you have nothing yeah. so that everything kind of is an open possibility for where yeah. you could go but you improvise for years. So, like, philosophically, like, what's your kind of approach to it? Like, what, when does it work well? What are the kind of, like, you know... Look, part of me really does feel like I want to... I've got to want to watch you. So, we're, before you even say a thing, mm-hmm. it might be the way you step on there, whatever, but... But there are some performers, and it does not matter what they look like. It is not about height, weight, looks, anything about that. There's just an ease right. or a charm or a charisma or something dangerous. When that person walks on stage, 
and they've got to be able to improvise, obviously. But there's a lot of people getting up who improvising who really don't have a clue and I don't want to watch you and I'm not going to pay $20 to watch you. Do you know why? Because that's the difference between performers and professionals who want to do it forever. Even if you've got their side job because we know in, certainly with improv you can't make a life from it. But it's this notion that anybody can do it. You can't. You can learn but you might not have – the watchability, the charisma, the pre- like Rebecca de Unamuno is one of the best improvisers in this country. I mean, probably in the world. Yeah, and I don't know why she has not got her own show. But again, it's like, well, you can't do your own show with improv, blah, blah, blah. But I have seen her and been in shows with her where my, my jaw hits the ground where she gets that stuff from. And she works with other people like Daniel Cordoe and Monique Dykstra. And when they work together, and it's because they're so in tune and they're hard listeners. So being in the moment, I think, is about listening so hard. I mean, Kristen Wiig also says it's not about getting a laugh. You know, it's actually about reacting and listening. And sometimes humour comes out of a very natural situation. You know, when you – unfortunately, theatre sports has kind of taken – the main mantle of, of, of improv and we don't, have a, uh, uh, we don't have a history of it like they do in the States and even England about how improv, I mean, improv over there, I mean, it's created so many of the people we watch and unless you know that, unless you know about uh, Chicago and Second City, unless you know about SNL, all that, you, the groundlings, you're kind of not going to be interested, you won't know that. But it's just another way of, it's just another way of training what you do. Uh, do you ever look at that world? Because particularly over in LA at the moment, like you look at the generations of people who've come through UCB and like, you know, all those theatres that have gone on to be the stars in, you know, like, you know, all these TV shows and movies yeah. and stuff, you know. And like, you know, I've seen the Australian improvisers, you know, the best ones. And like, Beck, let's go with Beck, for exa- yeah. example. So I don't want to put you on the spot. But like, do you look at an industry like that and go, geez, I wish that that's where I had been? Like born with like you know with what I'm good at and the skills yeah. that I have like do you have those moments of thinking I, you know I I I have I am not really into the American culture of it uh-huh. if it could be in Europe or it could be in England yes I would or sure. in Australia or in New Zealand but there's something about the intensity of the American stuff that doesn't interest me that I don't like that I find hard to watch. Um, whereas in Europe, and I've been to some, you know, different ones in Amsterdam, there's always just a nuance somewhere else. It's not so loud and shouty. Now, having said that, Kristen Wiig, I think, is an extraordinary performer. Um, she can be very nuanced when she wants to be. She can be completely over the top and her characters, are, you know, you got to see them. And, I mean, the thing is I've done a bit of, you know, totally full frontal where I got to play six different characters a day. I've got to host my own show in a comedy in music way where I get to be this persona. I get to do quiet things with home delivery. So I feel like all my little, you know, my back's being rubbed in all the right ways. And I think now you cannot sustain an industry in Australia to do with performance when you're churning out as many actors as we are each year. Where are they going to go? There's no bloody blue healers for them to do once a week or even that sort of good work where you get to practice what you do. So, of course, they're all going to have to go overseas. So go there by all means. Go and, you know, fit. But... It's so competitive over there and that whole – the American ethos I can't get into. It's not my style. It's not my – yeah, it's just too over the top. I can't. Tell me uh, about what it is you – know, run me through you know, the things that you do and what you 
get from each of them you know like what yeah like in the mix of your life you know like you know say for example you know like what you got out of doing rock whiz tell me what you got out of you know doing home delivery tell me like how those things they serve you in different ways because that's i imagine that they do like that you get different things out of you know the the different shows and and projects and eurovision Mm. and all those sort of things like that they've all given different things along the way pick out some ones that that you know that you think that you get something particularly out of the the first time I walked into the Eurovision uh, press room in Russia in 2009 and we're over there in Moscow doing the first one that Sam Pang and I ever co- commentated on. Commentated? Yeah, that commentated. Um, and it's a huge press room and there were computers everywhere and it's all these journalists. Some of them aren't journalists but some of them are. You right. know, some of them are fan, huge fan bases as well. But everybody's writing all these stories back to – and on and that particular occasion I was having to write back to Sydney every day because I was doing some diary in the paper about being there. But it was just so exciting because there was no English. Right. There was every other – you know, language in Europe you can think of and know English. In fact, I was the one bringing English, you know, so it was like I spoke French, you know, I was, so, I was like, oh, I, I, can, I can speak French fluently, I'll get through fine. And every time I speak French, they're like, is that all? Because they all speak <laughs> five languages yeah, each. Right. I mean, mortified. Yeah, well, no, you know, mortified. Um, but that was such a buzz. And then to walk into that arena, maybe not so much Mos- uh, Moskva Stadium because that was a bit of a shambles, but subsequent Eurovisions to walk into – Copenhagen, the room they had, or the room they had in Dusseldorf, these incredible – to be up close during rehearsal, there's no audience, to see this show being run, whatever you may think of it, you know, the cheesiness of it. You know, I was a bit embarrassed. I remember the first year coming back and telling to Rockwiz crew that I was working on Eurovision and they went, oh, we'd go there for free in a heartbeat right? because the level of technical stuff is incredible, you know cameras that they use and how they shoot things and anyway but yeah for me it was being part of a bigger group of people and then the first interviews backstage we ever had to do because no one knew us and they couldn't believe Australia were there everybody wanted to talk to us and we gave really great interviews because we were asking questions I don't expect particularly Sam Pang right. who will just go in with something really dry and catch people off guard and I'm more the you know friendly one and he's the one who's more you know strange man uh, man in a strange land you good know. cop weird cop yeah 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 good cop weird cop that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what we are yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really exciting I think with Rock Quiz when I look back on it now the three men the three male producers, Brian's one of them and Kenny and Peter, who auditioned me, did the callback. They're men who've let me be who I want to be on that stage. Uh-huh. They've never changed what I want to do. They've not said lose weight. They've not said put weight on. They've not said you look at – they've been within reason. I mean, they did once say to me, you, 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 you shout, you're too loud. You're shouting too much. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll be going, good evening, welcome to Rockwiz. And they go, you know you're doing it for the yeah. television. I go, yeah, but there's a room full of people. So I had to learn how to not do that, how to not yell. Um, but they have let, found a format for me yeah. where you can do the job you've got to do, as you do with the groin, the stuff you've got to get back to on the auto queue. But within it, I can be as free as I like. And they need someone bossy and in charge right. who can run three random people on each side of you. Well, they let you host it. I mean, that's that's the <sighs> thing that, like, you see a lot of shows. And, like, you know, I'm not... Oh, ju- that's true. Mm. But, you know, like... Let the person host it. If the person's hosting it, the person's in charge, they can then get the job done how they need to get it done, you know, but let them host it. I think the shows that don't work are the ones where you're like, oh, this is not 
I, I can't see this person in it. At the end of the day, you've got to let... I, I mean, I use the analogy all the time, and I'm sure I've used it fucking on this podcast several times before, but I always talk about Gruen as being like an aeroplane, and I talk about that idea that they won't let you take an aeroplane off the tarmac unless every single person has done their job right. You know what I mean? They check all the bags, they check the seats. If something's broken, everything has to be working. One light cannot be working, and they won't take the fucking plane off. But eventually, you throw someone some keys, and they have to fly the fucking <laughs> plane, right? And it's their job. And I think that the greatest team... Yeah. you know they get everything right and then they throw you the keys and they trust that you won't fly it into a mountain totally and with home delivery it was a completely different thing of an interview show that happens on location which is great and you know i sort of said to them well you know on the day because you know we usually start filming around 7 a.m you know i said i want to do my own makeup i want to do my own cost wardrobe i don't want to feel like i'm being I'm, I'm, someone is doing me up to look like a different thing. I want to feel like I'm getting up in the morning, I'm doing what I would normally do. We sometimes get someone to touch up on the way because it gets hot and you know other guests need it. And I want to wear clothes that I've chosen myself and I know what I need to wear enough for every occasion. And if I'm feeling a little bit fat that day, I'll wear something else because I'm deciding to do it and right. I'm going to feel confident that day. So that when I step out that morning... I haven't had a makeup person in my room. And I love my – I mean, they're amazing at what they do, but I want to feel like it's as natural as possible and I'm literally meeting that person as part of my day. And I, I think that it probably, even though you know people probably wouldn't be able to identify this, I imagine it's very good at setting the tone for how they react to you as well. Like if you were in like a – like if you're in a, their hometown or whatever and you were in something that was clearly like – so, for example, if I were in like the sort of suit I would host Gruen in, yeah. you know, because I'm interviewing them, but yeah. like we're in their hometown, or whatever, it just would not give them the ease of yeah. conversation or whatever that you're looking for. And we film outside, Will, right. which often, you know, if it's freezing, if it's hotly poured with rain with Billy Bragg for the first half of the day and then miraculously cleared, it was boiling hot in Darwin and in Jabiru when we did Miranda Tap. Or, you know, we did Stan Griffith in Stan Grand in Griffith, and that was like some kind of monsoon in the first half of the day, and then cleared to the so it's like you've got stuff ready to go anyway. But also, none of those people say yes, not knowing what they what's what's going to be asked of them. So, much like a podcast, although I've got obviously some questions I want to get answered, but it's really about having conversations throughout the day and you just happen to have three amazing camera people and our DOP, Gary Russell in particular, who there's one camera on me, one camera on the guest, one camera on the two of us. So you can literally do everything once. It's all captured. They can use what they need. We repeat very little, maybe walking out of somewhere, um, walking across a field and getting a nice wide shot or whatever. And an incredible team. Again, it's that great thing of when you've got great teams like Damien directing and, and Polly and Nick researching as well. And so it's like it's free again. And I, I find myself when I'm in jobs where I'm not free, like a drama, and I don't do many, where I, I can't – I don't like what I'm wearing. I can't believe I've got to wear it. I can't believe we're waiting another three hours for something to be set up. It's infuriating. So we have so much freedom in our work. And we also now have a bit of kudos, which is lovely as well. People trust you. And we'll listen to you and your ideas. And you could say you've worked to get that. But you can remember how hard it was at the beginning when 
no one would listen to you and your ideas. Right. But also, you know, if you're self-aware in any way, you also realise that there are a bunch of people who've worked equally as hard as yeah. you whose ideas are not being listened to. So it is a great luxury in the rare occasions when you have an opportunity when somebody listens to your ideas. We could talk forever, but we, we kind could. of already have. And we have. So I don't want to like uh, keep you for too much longer, but there are some things that I necessarily want to get to. Um, so firstly, I just want to ask one more question about home delivery, which is this. What's the most surprising thing that you've learnt? It could be about in general, like, you know, about people or, you know, but what's the thing that kind of like yeah, surprised you? You, know, you think the show is going to be one sort of thing and then there's always something about doing something that is completely different to what you thought it was going to be like or, you know, for good, bad or indifferent, but like something that surprised mm. you to learn or surprised you that like, you know, has come up several times or surprised you that, you know, was part of the process. You've got something that you weren't expecting to get. What What is that? Um, I'm surprised how some people have not reflected on their past okay. much Interesting. until you take them. So Kerry O'Brien sort of, I think, says at one point, I haven't really thought about this this much. No, I take his word for it. Whereas I think I'm always thinking about my past in how it shaped me. I'm not living in it, but I'm constantly, all I have as a reference point is the stuff that's happened to me or I've done to go, why are you doing that now? Is it because of this? Is that a bit retrospective? I don't know. It's interesting, though, because I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, and this confuses people sometimes when I say this, but I believe it is true, which is like I am very much a, a future-looking person. Like I assume that like whatever I am today, it doesn't almost matter, even though I, I'm aware that that's how life works. Of course, I am the sum of all the things that have happened to me right now, but I'm already that now. Like So I don't even have – like all that's happened, and whatever I'm dealing with is who I am right now. And so I am the sort of person where if I went back to those sort of places, I'd be like, I could talk to you about this, but A, I don't really remember that much. B, I don't think it has anything to fucking do with me now. Yeah, like, I worry. It would almost worry. be that sort of thing of going, oh, this is what that's about, where you're like, it's actually not about that at yeah, all. Yeah, look, I worry. I don't worry, but I, 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 that's what surprised me the most. After doing nearly 35, doing 35 episodes, 36 episodes, I thought, wow, you really do think a lot about what happened in the past or right. how it shapes you mainly because I'm thinking about how it shapes them, I suppose. Of course. But what's interesting is that, yeah, a lot of them don't. They kind of really push forward, but I don't know, how do you think in the future? How do you, why, how do you see yourself in the future? I mean, you know, like, I mean... The, Are you the, a five-year planner? The, the, no. The big cliche is, no, I kind of try to play everything on its merits every day. You know, my, my, like, my motto I always say to people is, like, this is what I think today, but ask me again tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I reserve... Uh, the right to completely change my mind about it all tomorrow if mm. I get more information, you know, or yeah. if something changes. Like, that tends to be how I, I look at life. I, I do think that, like, you know, I mean, that great cliche of, like, you know, if we don't learn from our history, then we're, you know, condemned to repeat those mistakes. I do think there is great value in understanding how things have happened before. But in my own personal history, I think that I tend to, like, you know... Uh, do a lot of thinking about where I'm at now and like so if something happened yesterday I would like you know do a lot of thinking that through so for example I've mentioned it already in the podcast so we might as well do it like the feedback I got from this woman who thought it was disrespectful that I like you know wore uh, the tracksuit pants wore the tracksuit pants like in that moment, yeah. I really think about that. I go, was I being disrespectful? Like, I check myself and go, no, 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 I really love that show. Like, you know, do you think, uh, what's her perspective on this? Oh, yeah, I understand that. And so I thought about it a lot. But then today, like, I think this conversation with you about it is kind of my exiting of that. And then I will have made whatever decision I'm making about that. 
and I will then move on and I will never reflect on that again. I guess I'm talking about more fundamental things like I mean, six years at school but... or Kerry O'Brien in his episode. I mean, they were beaten every day. Well, he was because he was naughty, you right. know. So, you know, he does being back. And also I think when you're older as well, and I feel it myself, you you do look at things slightly differently or is it because you think, well, there's not many years left. I mean, sure. you know, I, I don't know. But I think I'm, I'm surprised by how some and, – and also the thing with you comics, right, the thing with comics too, and it sort of – it was too easy for me in the first two series because comedians often have taken troubled – childhoods oh, yeah, yeah. or even good childhoods uh-huh. mind them sure. for fantastic stories and have actually possibly in a way dealt with them oh, in a absolutely. way right yeah, so absolutely. then when they bring them out and we're in the actual place oh my god i mean it was so easy and beautiful you know it was so easy and beautiful because people are just saying this stuff and it's coming out then when we hit the series where we had a mix of people i yeah. kept taking my director aside damien going what am i doing wrong he's going you're doing nothing wrong and that's why you've got to work with people who know more than you. He's doing nothing wrong. He's just said it's different because they're not comedians. These and, are, you know, well, these are people who, like, I mean, I, I think sometimes you can almost be too guilty of not dealing with a thing. Because often I, like, I mean, I joke about it, but, like, with my hips, for example, with my osteoarthritis, like, I've probably got more fucking, like, value out of the jokes I've made about them and the material it's given me and whatever yeah. than, like, the pain that it's caused me. Yeah. You know, now, no one's doing that maths in their head. But, like, often when something terrible is happening, mm. all I'm thinking is, oh, great. Like, this will be a good bit. Or at least it gives you a, a, a language through which to process things that go badly, you know? But also, how much do you, we need but, to know about it? Because it's like, you know, there's David Bowie. been sick all that time. Tells right. no one. It's Absolutely. so classy. You know, like, I'm just going to – it's not your business. It's not your business. Well, you're and a- I think you need to treat everybody kindly and assume that everyone has really bad hips or is ill. Because well, if you treat people well, you know, treat, you know what I mean? Like Everybody has someone else I, going on. I like know. everybody. Everything. Everybody in the Everyone. world. Everyone. And that person who cut you off in traffic or that person who was inconsiderate or whatever, sometimes if you can, just take a moment to think, oh, you know what, maybe something's going on with them and that's why that's come out. And you can give them a pass because it costs you nothing. But just slightly ahead of that, and this would be my other philosophy, philosophy, we will, will is don't reward bad behaviour. There comes a point where True. you go, all right, I understand what you're going through and right. I'm going to – but there comes a point where you go, you have to be responsible for this. Right. And why are we giving, you know, Mark Latham a column to, to write in a paper – I think he's just had it taken off him – why are we rewarding? Why I mean, would you? Yeah, he's not. He's not a great thinker. No. If he was a great thinker, if he was genuinely provoking conversations sure. around these things that were necessary to be but had, but why he's is not. Joe Hockey getting that gig? I mean, in, in I mean, that's rewarding. Because he's bad a lifter, behavior. not a leaner. Well, it's just a big. It's like getting to Mars and you fucked up the Earth. Right. No. No, I no, I agree with you. Well, that was excellent. Um, I want a, a couple of quick questions sure. before we go. Um, uh, first one is this: what what scares you? What are, what are, what are we? What are you scared of? Ill is, health. Yeah, is it? Is oh that, yeah. Yeah, like in a hypochondrial way, or just no, in a, like, in a in a. I want to drop dead. I okay. don't want to have a long you don't illness. Want to be sick. Yeah, because of course you know. I'm 48 and there are certain things that are sort of not working like that. Used to, or you're just noticing things right? and you just, you know, it's true. It's wasted, you know, youth is wasted on the young and all that. And you start, Miles just said to me the other day, oh, you're probably doing things that you used to do that you're probably, you know, reaching in directions that you shouldn't be reaching. I'm like, what? It's just paying attention to what you're doing. I reckon I, reckon I could put up with most things. I'm not afraid of... 
I, I think I could always find a job. You know, I don't need TV for the rest of my life. I would happily work as a teacher. I, I have no problem with that. I, w- I would be sad if coffee disappeared and I would be really sad if you couldn't buy a newspaper and read it, uh-huh. like with your hands, because that's a, such a great part of the day. But I think to be ill for a long period of time and to be like that and to be helpless and trapped, oh, I just, yeah, I just think that would be awful. So I try uh, yeah, and, I agree. and I mean, I, no matter how well I look after myself, you know, it might be predest- it's predetermined. Oh, absolutely. And, and look, well, yes. And Ish. the truth of it is that we live so long now that uh, even know. if you like uh, escape everything else with the way cancer is that like basically if you live long enough that like, you know, a lot of people are going to get cancer regardless. So, know, yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's, a, it's interesting in that regard. So that brings me to my next question pretty uh, easily, which is uh, what do you reckon happens when we die? Do you have a thought I about that to you? Do you have like, is there something that you instinctively think about that? Do you think there is some sort of I, like bigger, better or bigger whatever thing than this? Or do you think you'll be dead or what do you think? Oh, I used to think that I would be someone if I got terminally ill would turn to something like Buddhism. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's the only religion I could kind of manage, I think. No, I agree. Because I've got none. I didn't grow up with any, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm a bit at sea about it all. Um, but and I, and I, I think it's genuinely, generally, I think religion is bad. Right. Generally, I just think take the. Even good- though I enjoyed your chat with. Yeah, but no. Yeah, I like no. I like. I say take the best things. Like, well, well, how healthy is your relationship with religion? Is always the question I would ask about religion as well. Yeah, if it exactly, makes you, if yeah. it makes you a better person, mm. then I'm glad for you to like. You know, you listen to Jared McKenna talk, yeah. and like, you know, his love of Jesus Christ has made him a very great person for this earth, and it is not doesn't seem to have particularly any negative sides to it. Mm. Why would you be against that? But mm. the same person who takes that level of passion and turns it into blowing up innocent civilians in another cause. Well, that's just not a healthy relationship well, abuse, with the religion. Well, it's, religion, the, it's or, any abuse of power. I well, guess. any abuse of it's power. It's abuse of, of course, power, and of we know that religion is that. But um, but look, it really is the ultimate thing, isn't it? Right. Will I so? Mean, do you death, think about it I, at well, all? Death? Like, I mean, apart from the illness thing, do you, are you haunted by the idea? I'm of not death? haunted you, by it, but uh, you know, if I had to stop, if I, if you know, if you had to do, it, for example, and it, I'm sure it's happening all over the country where there's a drama class happening and they're doing some play where you have to think about it and you would probably do an exercise where you'd have to think about all that and and it would be it would be scary I think um, we're about to interview Ben Quilty for home delivery and his dad apparently used to say well life is just what you're doing to wait before you die so you should do something great with it. And, and Ben goes, oh, that may seem a bit negative, but in a way it's probably a really good way to look at it because you're going, well, it ends. So I think it does end. I think it does end. I think what makes you so lovely and my boyfriend so lovely and the dogs are lovely is that there's this spirit going around and there's air going around and there's blood pumping through them and it's I do believe in the physical and then they live on in the living. So it's your memory of that person and all the lovely things. Yeah, no, I mean... That they were. I think after that, you know, what I'm more nervous about is should I be buried or should I be cremated? They're the two I can't decide on. They're the things that I feel quite uncomfortable about, even though I'll be dead. I don't know which one. I think I should be in a small, take up less space. I like the idea of being scattered. Yeah, I think I'll go probably with scattered. I don't like the idea of being under the gun. I'm claustrophobic. I won't go under the gun. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I don't think a lot about it. But I don't, and I think it's not great to not think about it. 
You know, we're not a we're not a we're not a world we're not a society. The Anglo's we're not very good at kind of dealing with it. Right. But um but look, you know, again, I reserve the right. Ask me in five years and it might be different. I've not had someone very, very, very close to me die. Is that odd? Yeah, I, I always think one of the great uh, things about religion and when sometimes it's mean-spirited is that it gives people comfort in times when they're sad. And if the idea that, mm. you know, um, just because I don't believe that there is any afterlife, you know, when somebody takes comfort in the idea that someone they loved had died and, like, you know, talk about them being in a, you know, a better place yeah. or that some people have a real problem with that. Like, you know, some people who don't believe is like, I'm like, you know what, if it, that gives them comfort, I just don't, honestly do not have a problem with that. Now, if, if they say, you know, that person's not going to heaven because they masturbated or they were gay or whatever it is, then, uh, yeah, then I think we, we get into a little, you know. Shush now. Don't be Catholic. Be Catholic. Don't be Buddhist. Be Buddhist. <gasps> That's I my love that. yeah. Be Catholic. Yeah, I'm, I'm Islamish. I think, yeah, <laughs> I, will, I, I think if, if my mother or father were to die, I think that's when I would really be able to give you a very different answer because right. they are sort of your... Well, they're your beginnings. Right. Aren't they? You're not here. I, I don't know. There's something powerful about that triangle. Uh, well, it has been a pleasure. You have oh. been very great. This has been an excellent uh, – well, you, I've enjoyed Will. it anyway. I've enjoyed know? it too. Well, thank you. I, I think, felt like I learned some things as well. Did you? Yeah. Okay. That's nice. That's I like lovely. That. Hey, if people liked it, you can rate it on iTunes. Can you? What? Yeah. So um, that would be good though. That means that people can find out about it. So rate it on iTunes. That would be nice. <laughs> just say something nice. If you want to say something mean, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> It's a free podcast. It's Catholic. Uh, yeah, it's Catholic. <laughs> yeah, go to confession. Tell fucking them. I, uh, no, and uh, of course, uh, you can donate to the Patreon page for Tofop, patreon.com uh, slash Tofop, T-O-F-O-P. I have two other podcasts. One's called Tofop, one's called Fofop. So you can find those both under those names on the internet, iTunes or omniapp.com. Uh, other than that, I have a tour uh, that I'm going to do a little quick plug of. Uh, Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney. Sydney Opera House, April 7, Concert Hall. Uh, it's not officially on sale yet, Julia. It, I found out. Well, I wonder why, why is that, Will? I don't understand how things work. At the Opera House? So No, no yeah. one does. So basically it is on sale. Like we've sold over a 1,000 tickets. But it, it's on pre-sale, which I believe means it's on sale. But then people have told me it's not really on sale until Monday. So uh, I believe there is a way you can already buy tickets, like a thousand people have. Have but people exchange money for yeah. something they've printed at home? Yeah, no, they've got tickets. Like, but there's uh, anyway, whatever. Sometime in the next few days, nice. you'll be able to buy tickets for that. Great, uh, Perth, LA. Just check my website or uh, or Google Fire at Will. What about you? What can people look out for in your world? Well, I don't know when this is going to air. Oh, no, it's going up soon. Oh, this great. is new. This is like start of my new series. Oh, how exciting! Yeah. Well, on the third of February, um, it's a Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night now, from now on, from then uh, for 10 weeks, uh, Julie Zamira's Home Delivery will be on uh, on the ABC at 8pm. Much nicer time slot for us. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, very nice. And uh, just about to start a new series of Rockwiz down at the SB in Melbourne. Uh, the even though it's closed, even though it's closed for renovations. Still doing it in the Gershwin We'll room. be uh, using that room, yeah. Is that is right? Good. Yeah, it's That's where I did my first ever stand-up gig in that No room. way! Yeah. Uh. Well, Sunday, I'll think Sunday of you afternoon. when we're there at the, uh, the uh, an afternoon. Sunday afternoon, oh yeah. Did my first stand up gig <gasps> twenty years ago, September the tenth, twenty years ago, and uh, I'll tell you something interesting about that. Uh, is that um, okay? I have uh, I told you before that you know I've, uh, that I don't act. I lied a little bit. I've done two roles ever acting in my acting career, both playing myself and both as favours to friends in TV shows. So I did that, you know, the Mick Malloy one, the one that was kind of like the Chaser parody. Do you yes, remember that one? I do. I did like I was me in that and I had wow. one line. 
and I was in Peter Hellier's It's a Day oh. playing myself when Stephen Curry like was uh, pretending to be in a wheelchair to do stand-up comedy with Asha Ketty. I was in that episode. Oh, wow. And they put up posters around the Gersh, like tonight, Will Anderson, like he was supporting me that night and I like gave him a line of encouragement or whatever. And I was like, this is like, I started here and now I'm doing a fake gig here. <laughs> I'm headlining so a fake, fake gig. gig. Never headlined an actual gig there, but I did headline a fake gig. There, oh, so. that is brilliant. Yeah, all right. All, all right. right. You're the best. Uh, thank you very the much. The rain's mate. coming. Bye-bye. Without you 